just dive straight into it, shouldn't we, Skull? I think we should. As, as you can see, we are here, the boys with no voice, after an intake FTX, Zuka and me, Skull. Of course, James is here as well, and once again, we're joined by White Wolf. So, how are you doing, guys? I'm good. Yeah, good. After that motivating intro from Zuka, he's, he's, <laughs> he's been well known for his motivational skills, isn't he? Isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I can I can speak from experience, like first-hand experience that uh, that was that was just as good as his motivation. <laughs> Hugger <laughs> of trees. <laughs> if anyone doesn't know what, what they're talking about, it, there's a, there's a clip in streams and videos or clip archive. I think I would describe it as mildly motivating. <laughs> Swiss officers, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Right, so first topic today, uh, we're going to look at some of the changes since last, last half-cast, what has been updated, what have we changed, what has improved, and uh, wouldn't be a new year without a boatload of stats, of course. Um, if you noticed, did you already post it in uh, the live chat? No, let's do that, though. Um, Perfect. Also, I think um, it's just worth saying, because some people might not. I've listened to a Toughcast before, or maybe not live. The thread under general chat. If you've got any questions at any point, um, shove them in there um, because we'll keep a, an eye on the chat, even if we're deep in conversation, and we will come back to them. Usually, as long as we don't go on a three-hour tangent, we will have which a we absolutely will. <laughs> we will have a dedicated uh, section at the end for, for questions. Um, but definitely please do that because it uh, helps steer or derail the conversation depending on what those uh, comments are. We'll be um, fine. James I displayed <laughs> a perfect showcasing of brevity in NCO chat the other day <laughs> with his three-letter answers to something. <laughs> brevity. It's, it's just flows favorite, throughout. Favorite <laughs> uh, but yeah, the link that James posted in Tafcast live chat is a new statistics page on the website. And if you open it, um, you'll probably be as, be as overwhelmed as me because it's just loads of info just jumping right at you. Uh, I think, James, you're better to explain this than me. Yeah, I think, and also, if anyone's listening on, on Spotify, um, just go to the Ops Center and then click on Statistics. The, the, the one that I think is most interesting is Combat Operations All Time, which is the one that's got loads of dots on it, and you've probably seen it around Discord the last few days. But essentially what this is, is this is every deployment that Unitaf's ever done a combat deployment um, represented as a dot. And so along the bottom, you can see from June 16, 2019 up to January 1st, 2021, 2022, sorry. And the sandy dots are scale the scale of the deployments and the blue dots are the ratings. But what it really helps you to do to visualize, and as long as you're not on Safari on, on a Mac um, and you're on like a Windows, you should see a trend line, a faint trend line for both, is that my impression would be would not be that like my impression would not be that both uh, obviously the scale of in deployments has increased but my impression would not necessarily be that the um rating of deployments had increased to, to that level but um that's what is really helpful about the visualization but um you could see even as we've grown and we've started to do these sort of much larger deployments we've kept to our roots if you like and we're still doing a vast a vast number of uh, smaller deployments but um a lot of this data is stuff that we've looked at anyway for a long time but we've not really ever released it um and, and i suppose it just helps people to understand the uh, decisions that we're making and our view on things when you can see the similar data another one that i find really interesting if you scroll down there's a a, a a table called 
campaign breakdown and it'll give you all 21 campaigns and you can sort them by total attendance, by rating, by performance rating, by total hours. And again, it just helps you to understand what campaigns have worked really well for us and which ones, uh, which ones maybe not so much. I'll say it's crazy to jump from Typhoon to Brimstone. It just doubles up on, just for reference for anyone listening, Typhoon has 924 hours attendance. Brimstone has 2,120, uh, oh, sorry, it's slots, never mind. Yeah, <laughs> you're talking just, about hours, six and a half thousand Brimstone. Yeah. 2,800. Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh, that, that's crazy to see in like this play like this. Uh, well, I think we, yeah. we were talking, me and Zuka were talking about it the other day. Brimstone, the, the thing was, those of that were around when Brimstone started, the way Unitaf deployed has changed quite a lot because, and and maybe we'll come back to those two graphs um, that I posted images of in the chat. And for those people that are listening on Spotify, they're the two graphs from um, from Sitrep 16 um, that look at the last three years worth of slot supply is that Brimstone was an era when we would do very a small number of campaigns at high frequency, whereas now we do a large number of campaigns at medium frequency because there's a lot of campaign teams. But when we did Brimstone, I mean, we had a campaign team knocking out three missions a week and a 60 every Sunday on the same campaign, whereas these these days, you know, we rotate Sundays because of the sheer pressure of the campaign teams on producing. Would you say war has changed? <laughs> We're always going to get bad jokes. <laughs> as long as I'm here, you can be sure of that. Well, it actually has because we've moved from coin ops to conventional war, haven't we? Yeah. So war has changed. War has changed. Well, that's another reason why I wanted to make these stats public because one of the things I uh, I'm always looking at it. you you can't go to every day. You know, a year two years ago, I would go to the majority of deployments. It's physically impossible now. I mean, we're doing thirty or forty deployments a month. Um, if you include practices, um, you have to rely on the the data to understand whether we're going in the right direction or not. And as I said to to the OCOC, we we know we're bad at uh, conventional war. Or I say bad, we're definitely worse at execution of conventional war than we are. at coin but that makes sense right because we've done six and a half thousand hours of coin in a single campaign you add the other campaigns on top of that uh, in fact i don't have the data for that but if you take the total hours of coin versus the total hours of conventional you'll see what i mean but if you look at the data you'll see that we we do do a lot more conventional at the moment than we do coin but that's why schedule wise and it was probably in the sit rep um you know we probably will do some more things like um i forget the name of it now overture a lot of people really enjoy Overture. It's like a completely different experience. Um, and so it's things like that, like Brimstone, like Pavis. Um, it's Pavis, isn't it? Am I getting it right? Not Pavis. Before my time. Not yeah. Pavis. What's your one? Sapphire. Sorry, I'm getting oh, Sapphire. Oh, yeah. Pavis. Sapphire, obviously Sapphire 2, let's call it. Um, you know, slightly unlike Typhoon, unlike Aisha, and obviously Poseidon, those that went to the first one, you know, that's a heavily conventional um as well so yeah i look forward to, to doing so that and i think it's just all about having a, a nice balance yeah really is um anything else stats wise james uh just those two charts so the, the biggest ones that i thought were interesting that i put in the sit rep is 
if you look at the the one I just put below Squiddo's uh, message, and by the way, Squiddo still has his Santa hat on, um, was the number of deployments per annum. <laughs> you can see, and I think I said it in the series, I think we did more deployments in November this year than we did in 2019. All of 2019, that is. Yeah. Um, but you can see it in that chart, right? And, and then the slot supply, you can see similarly. Uh, we we had more slots in October this year than we had in the entirety of 2019. Um, the entirety. T- yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, it's 2021, we did yes. over, over 9,000 slots. Oh, <laughs> over 9,000. Good one. But, but I don't, I don't <laughs> post the stats to... Uh, it, it's important that people look at it because it shows the the challenges of what we're doing. A lot of people always say like, oh, why haven't we done this yet? It's like, well, have you seen what we have been doing? Um, it's difficult to make change at, at scale. And uh, we're transitioning from a, from a, well, in 2019, from a relatively small organization to 2020, 2021 to a medium and now to a pretty large organization. It takes, it has its challenges, put it that way. Also, just a quick interesting point made by Vike in the chat is that uh, laws of war and the success of overture uh, changed other campaigns frequently or in, in, a, in a major way and in some cases i think that even led to the introduction of uh, writing down a lot of loac and uh, how we treat prisoners of war and things like that because it was just such a radical change and no one was really ready for it for at least the first one i thought uh, was a bit it was something quite different, and yes, like that is absolutely true. Uh, but I think it's it's a nice change, isn't it? Because we can explore more of what is uh, doable in armor and what is uh, within this this framework we've built ourselves. Uh, and yeah, again, huge props to Jasmine for or, and and team, of course, for coming up with Overture and it's- sticking through it. It does show growth as a unit as well, where we didn't have any of the SOP in place at all prior to campaigns like Overture, where instead now we're even covering it in the intake FTXs. So everybody at least is aware of, we observe the laws of war and we attempt to do our best at it. And we can, uh, we're looking to improve them even more, more on that later. Yeah, there's a lot of news on that front. The format of this uh, Tafcast is we'll talk about stuff you already know, and then we'll talk about the exciting stuff when the uh, combat support FTX ends. <laughs> <laughs> so keep listening. Uh, but there is a lot of uh, big news in this Tafcast. Um, uh, yeah, what I think is interesting about it is it, when you look at the stats on something like Brimstone, I mean, I always look at this, it's a bit like when you know Marvel want to make a new film like they're they're all it's all about how much money you're gonna spend 250 million how much do you want a billion like it's very easy just to take something you've done before copy and paste it and hope for the best because you know you know it's probably going to do similarly you know for for overture to be something completely different to the what was the most successful thing at the time and to not be anything like it i think just goes to show that being a little bit open-minded with what we're doing and trying new things you know because at the same time poseidon i talked about it in the an update to NCOs recently, you know, it had a difficult first op. Most campaigns do, but it's it's trying something completely different. And we don't know when we when we start that whether it's going to be a massive success or a massive failure. We've had some campaigns that we've launched have done really badly. We've done them six for six ops and then we've cancelled them. But uh, you don't know till you try. And I think Overture is a great example of someone that um, understood the the unit policies and followed them, 
but did it on right on the fringe to try and produce something completely different. And um, I went to the very first Overjoy. I don't think I've managed to get to any of the others because they generally fill quite quick, but um, completely different experience and I think really enjoyable. Can yeah. you feel it from the like word go on those kind of campaigns when we when we do them? Like you know, what's the, what's the what's the difference between one that succeeds and one that doesn't? Uh, Open question to the chat as well, I guess. Personally, I think, and I, and I said it. Um, I've got to say, uh, you as NCOs have had this update, so we do the HQ announcements. But I'm not, I guess I've not said it publicly. Is um, no campaign team starts from the point of view of going, oh, we're going to make a terrible campaign. You know, a lot of work goes into making these work, but, um, you know, reflection after a mission is is invaluable and a lot of things crop up. I don't think you can ever tell whether a campaign is going to be successful or not. You could take Brimstone, copy all the parameters of it and run it again and it could fail. I think it, a lot of it comes down to leadership and the who's and not the what's. And So no, I don't think you can. And I think um, sometimes you just, you just hit gold and sometimes you don't, but that's the flexibility of our system. Yeah. And in some cases with campaigns or basically every campaign, uh, if I tell you there's going to be an overture upcoming, overture itself is a brand name as well as just being like this campaign name, because you know what you're expecting. Uh, you, you know what you're going to get yourself into so it wouldn't make sense in a brimstone, uh, in a say brimstone overture to suddenly be fighting Russia's in uh, the forests of Finland, because even if I say that, you instantly think I hear. Uh, again, these campaigns are brandings on their own, and I think that also contributes to like the success of a campaign if it can build a good reputation. It also helps with uh, maybe making it a bit more enjoyable if people know they're signing up for something they enjoy. You have people signing up that know they will enjoy it. If someone signs up for Overture, <clears throat> expecting to uh, get their barrel hot and get in a lot of ship, uh, might not be the right one for them. Either they yeah. might not know, or it's just something they've they've not caught uh, caught on yet. Johnson, yeah, just... I think. Sorry, well, Johnson just no, brings on. up a uh, wonderful point. Overture as well because it interacts with the players and the. The missions that engage with the players beyond just put them in a field and have them shoot at something, I found usually do better than the ones that are just straight up combat. So when you can see yourself have an effect on the goings on in that mission, be that through Civ RP, through um, employing a difficult tactic, or employing wonderful acids, um, that's more engaging, and those do better. I think. I think. Um... A lot of this is possible now because of the size of the unit, right? Yeah, I always say it on the inductions, like there's there's a lot of units out there, and there's certainly a lot that are a lot bigger than ours. But at this scale and this and this number, the sheer number of deployments that are being knocked out affords us the ability to do a lot of variety in what we're doing. Two years ago, it wouldn't have been possible to do something like overture because there would have been a lot of people that didn't enjoy it, and they would have left because of the because of the fact that slots were being taken up by these deployments that they perhaps didn't enjoy. What we can afford to do now when we're doing 9,000 slots a year and probably end up doing 18,000 this year, who knows, is we can put a vast percentage of those slots into very different experiences, whether that's World War II, Vietnam, Overture, Parable, Poseidon. Um, and it doesn't really have an overall effect on any particular person because if you don't like something, there's always going to be something else and probably quite soon and quite quickly. 
Um, obviously, there's this thing that we try and do, which is always going to be an, an under undercurrent of standards where every campaign is going to have something in common um, because we don't want to we don't want it to be completely different. But this sort of variety that we're seeing now, I think you're only going to find it to be more common as we go forward, as we continue growing because of the fact that we've got um, a, a wider array of people that have slightly different interests. And so we serve those in slightly different ways. But as Zuka says, if you turn up to Overture and you're ignorant around around the campaign, the campaign briefing, the off-board, and you think you're going to fire 1,200 rounds downrange, you're going to come away thoroughly disappointed. And if you go to Brimstone, expecting... Well, Brimstone is the wrong wrong example. If you, to, <laughs> you, go, if you, go, if you go to Poseidon, expecting an in-depth role-play experience with a, with a civilian, you're probably going to come away massively disappointed as well. So it's all about expectation and knowing what you get in for. And most people actually will enjoy something as long as it, it meets their expectation going into it. I think a good point made by... I think it was you, Skull, is just also employing fun assets or fun things into a mission uh example last sapphire i think basically two notable uh mentions there is the the, the minigun command humvee mm-hmm. i think i saw like four or five uh clips of it posted after the mission just because it was loud it was funny and it seemed really effective same with the mortars of course mortar uh, seemed to be fairly effective had a lot yeah burr bike <laughs> uh and it's just bringing those assets together and, and having fun ones, uh, which is also something you just really have to look out for. Because if you do the same mission uh, under a different name in a different AO five times in a row, sometimes you need a bit of variety. Yeah, yeah it's always fun bringing yeah. new stuff in. We we Have are um, deviating slightly from the absolutely statistics uh, point. Of <laughs> but what what I would say is because there's some conversation about it in the live chat is. Um, we're going to come back to, to LOAC uh, later in the podcast because it's an item um, in the future section. Uh, but in general, um, other than what I've said about campaigns, on SOP, uh, I definitely recognise that the adherence to certain SOPs, specifically LOAC, Laws Around Conflict, and to some extent recently the use of enemy equipment is below the standard which we would expect. And so you should expect us to to do something about that. And part of that doing something about it means updating the SOPs to either make them more all-encompassing or clear. And the other part of that is enforcement and how we decide to enforce it. So we will come back to these topics because they're later in the TAFCAST, but uh, I see that people were touching on them, so it's worth mentioning. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of SOP, and something that was mentioned in the last SITREP was an update uh, from the new Joint Fires SOP just to recap what we had last sit rep uh, it's been in use now i think skull you're one of the most or one of the people that has employed it the most now uh, and probably gotten some feedback towards it as well is there something you can tell us about it just um, yeah on that note, i would love some feedback from chat because we've had um indirect fire support i think two or three times since the sop revision so let us know how you failed mortars and artillery have been used in missions. Um, but I've had a few points of contact with forward observation before and after now. And I think to me, the difference is night and day. It is much more fun. It is also much more effective once you are in the groove with the new SAP, which I think slowly we're getting to. And that's really nice to see. 
And I think that just goes to show that a tight SOP help really helps drive home effectiveness. And it helps you be effective because you've got a, a coherent guideline that you can look up to on a second monitor or just learn, wrote, mem- memorize really, and employ yourself yeah, without second guessing. My only reflection on the ComSoc review is I think I, I haven't done too much of the fire support stuff. Um, but obviously I've read it because I approved it. So I, I appreciate the effort that went into it and uh, it's definitely an improvement. Um, but on the general ComSoc stuff, I think the it's starting to bed in now. Like, you know, six months ago, nobody ever said the word Roger and we get we are getting there. Um, but there's still work to be done. It takes a long time to to retrain and relearn habits, but it's I think it's indicative of what we're going to end up doing in basically all combat areas over time. What you'll hear us refer to as CSIPs or con- continual SOP improvement, um, which we'll come on to in a minute because we've got lots of CSIPs going on at the moment. Mm. Um, but it, it's just something we have to do. And we have to do over time because SOP gets old. It's not that it, it's not that the SOP doesn't work necessarily. It's that it was written a long time ago when we didn't care so much about the SOP. And uh, we need to give it the due attention it, it deserves and expand on it and make it better and, and uh, it's a continual process. But it has to be done in a way that's thought through, logical, and uh, it's important that shit doesn't change every day because if, if stuff's changing every day, people will lose track of things, which is why we tend to stagger these things. Yeah, and the thing to take home is to be open-minded because we've had a few cool examples now of... Um, where change can really help us grow as a unit and as players, like the Laws of War with Overture and Powerball and all the things that came after in other missions. And I think the comms SOP and the fire support SOP are now shaping up to be the same. Continuous improvement. Yeah, definitely. And, and some, some sort of changes that you see can be quite nuanced. Like uh, we had absolute uproar when we took entrenching tools off people. Um Fine. I mean, if that upsets you, but but the overarching objective was something else, you know, which was uh, we wanted a behaviour change about how people look at cover and how they deal with cover in contact. And I think we probably achieved that with the change. But ironically, after it actually happened, nobody complained about it. So there can there can be a lot of um, not speculation, but pe- people can be really apprehensive of, of change when they know what's about to change. But when it's changed, a lot of the time, it's nowhere near as bad as they think. And I think mm-hmm. it's the same same with LOAC. Like a lot of people, are like, oh, it's just a lot of rules to learn, and I'm not too. But actually, when you boil it down, it's quite simple and straightforward. And you start to, well, again, we'll come on to LOAC, but you'll appreciate what how it benefits the mission. Um, a couple of you were talking in chat before about like these sort of good storylines and amazing role play. Well, if no one adheres to LOAC, you can't have a chat with someone once you've killed them. So, you know, it, it opens the doors to more interesting experiences when we've got these sort of policies that help us to do that. So um, simple things like I remember, again, the adherence to it is not as good as I would like, but, um, you know, years ago you know if you're breaching a building and the sit and the the guy that was shooting at you three minutes ago starts saying i surrender i surrender if you lob a grenade in the door you've negated all all ability to have a role play scenario or a hostage situation or anything like that um and it's completely gone and that could be something that you know the gms were well prepared to deliver so um a lot of this stuff has really well-rooted intent it's a few really good Further examples going on in the chat as well that uh, really exacerbate that one. I like the, I like, um, personally, I like Ains's artillery support, like markers or six stage. 
are now getting eight dig, and that's that's just the standard like that that I've seen for artillery, and just makes it so much more effective and uh, and goes well with the um, with the SOP. But it's just something so minor that's actually like now that I reflect on what's been what's what's been said there, I didn't notice it before, and but now that I can, now I can I can see uh, see it is a it is a big difference. Yeah, and more people are familiar with eight digit goods now after we've done the Tanoa Lentnav FTXs a few times. <laughs> where continuous growth. You can't do it all in one go, but you can pick single things and continue to improve over time. Which also, shows once again. I completely forgot to say this, but I think it's probably now is a better time than ever. Oh, actually, no. Just remind me that I wanted to say something when we come to talk about uh, Everglades. And it'll be in order then. <laughs> I mean, we're gone. We've we've, uh, we've 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 done all right with this particular point. Keeping keeping on it. Wasn't <laughs> 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 a, a few tough casts ago? The live chat managed to completely dis- derail us for about ninety minutes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so to avoid that, I guess uh, let's look at the next point on the agenda, which is the Intel channel or the integration of Intel into Discord, which I personally feel helped a lot more people be notified when new Intel is out, because otherwise you had to go on the website, had to check the Intel frequently, and it wouldn't give you any sort of notification or indication that there is something new. Uh, I think prime example for Intel really is Polaris with its uh, snippets, videos, posters, all of those things, either teasing future operations or shedding some light on what happened in the previous operations uh, or what specifically was affected the like <laughs> Sorry. So, so you've seen it then yeah <laughs> so for anyone you want to recover the point or uh... yeah so for anyone putting out intel putting in the time thank you I personally really enjoy it. I really enjoyed seeing the engagement in the last, uh, like the code, this sentence to find out a bit more intel on Sapphire as well. Because I had in in the span of five minutes, I had like ten people or five to six people in my DMs just saying, "Oh, this is what it means. Oh, look at look at all of this. It must mean this. Must mean this." Uh, which is always nice, uh, really nice to see. Uh, another change is that. Our campaign briefings have. You're just been... going to breeze over Intel that quickly. <laughs> just, yeah, yeah. just going to. That's over it. Go ahead. Um, no, I was just going to say, I think it's, again, it's a natural progression of uh, people like that. There were people as part of different campaigns that just started doing it of their own accord. And then we, it's always sort of been part of the roadmap, hasn't it, to integrate that sort of stuff. And, um, you know, it's probably not used as much as I would like, but there's a lot of campaigns and the teams are already quite busy. But it's quite easy to drop a bit of intel in here before the mission and the lead up to the mission. And it's, I think it's a nice touch to have. And the other place I've used it before is, and I feel sorry for whoever it was because I think they took it quite badly. But uh, we had an EF op where someone ended off the side of a helicopter on the way back to base and we dropped some intel in that they killed three civilians and then led to about two ops to go and repair the damage so uh, there's, there's all sorts of stuff we can do both pre-mission and post-mission to to bring consequence to what we're doing and i think that's where intel really comes in and at some point down the line and roadmap depending which we'll touch on later in the TAFCast, um you know we'll add 
hard stats for this, like what what the reputation ratings are with civilians and all this sort of stuff, so that there can be some visible damage to campaigns. There's an impact on planning like, as well. Uh, just bringing Polaris as the example as um, like trying trying to trying to plan. Uh, an operation and then seeing a video of CSAT reinforcing with an absolute metric F-ton of helicopters really, really drove a like a, a point into what, what we were trying to accomplish and what we would be facing. And, you know, it's just a completely different experience. I don't think I would have anticipated like anything near that level of um, air superiority, but for, but for that level of intel that came through, not just a, 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 a campaign manager briefing, but through physical documents and videos and stuff really really yeah, impacted. So, someone made a suggestion the other day about campaign upwards didn't they and uh i think three of the campaigns have been updated now but trying to do a bit more is get these campaigns to update their campaign briefings to have better you know, they've almost always had the situation in but to have you know what do the enemy look like what do the friendlies look like so we've got a bit of iff in there um and anyone that wants to sort of help do that, you're, you're welcome to contact the campaign teams. But this is all stuff that's going to become much more useful for people, especially when there's sort of a large number of campaigns. So getting orientated on what campaigns, what might become more important. Uh, were you meant to cut out mid-sentence there? or uh, I think it was the end of my sentence. Ah, you got to put a dot on the end. <laughs> uh, anyway, you got derailed by chat, Lazuka, didn't you? Uh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love it. Um, another thing, did we touch on on media per campaign? Uh, it's just a bug. Yeah, you just can find all of the GC images for a campaign on the campaign center, basically. Uh, especially with more and more new people taking a lot of really cinematic uh, screenshots, pictures, and so on. Sometimes you might see them pop up as the background for a deployment uh, because I, I like skimming through them. And when I do one, just putting one of those in there. Always nice. Uh, anything else from last sit rep that we forget to mention? Uh, all the points that are on your next section of this document. That's that's the current stuff. That's this sitrep, isn't it? Oh, the the next sitrep. No, mean? this this sitrep. Sixteen. Yeah. No, just the stuff that's listed. The chat derailed me hard. Don't, don't worry, chat. We're <laughs> totally on track, and Sorry, we you have you, this planned I, through. Did he I'm say not, you gave up drinking? No, no, no. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not even <laughs> trying. the thing. I'm not even. That, that, that's. I think that must be my focus. Uh, you've told them that they've gotten to you now. Like, so. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't I know it's game. working. <laughs> uh, there we go. <laughs> so, what, what I was going to say on this next point, which we'll go to chat briefly about some of the upcoming campaigns, um, was just to say, going back to my previous point about trying new things and, and trying to do things that are different to what we've done before, um, just, just to mention Everglade. So, we don't really class Everglade as a historical. It's, uh, I think it's 1984. Please correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but we're doing a few things different with Everglade. If you've not read the campaign up, I might just highlight them for you now. Um, and I sort of see it as a bit of a test bed for some other campaigns. Which And, and the point here is that you've got the choice whether you want to go to a certain campaign or not. 
and um if if you don't like these things then don't turn up but we're quite optimistic about the effects of some of these con- constraints so i mean you go to a world war Two, um communication is much harder because you know all have radios but we did that vietnam op the other day which i think most of us were on which i thought was brilliant it's not like I've never played Vietnam before, but in that op particularly, you know, the passing of orders by shouting and all this, and and just the navigation, the land navigation without technology, I I love it. I think it's brilliant, and I think there's always a tendency with armor to use the tech to always like by default, and sometimes I think it can actually take away from the game rather than rather than add to it. But obviously it doesn't make sense in some of these sort of present day and certainly if you look at some of the futuristic campaigns that we're doing at the moment, it doesn't really make sense not to have the technology. That said, one of the things that we're doing with um, with Everglade, if you're not aware, is that a couple of things. So it's similar to Vietnam in that only the fire team leaders, squad leaders, platoon leaders and the radio operators have the radio. So it's similar in that extent. But it goes further. So you don't have GPS as a rifleman. Uh, you have a map but the map should be unsynced. So if somebody puts a target marker down, you won't see it because that's not how it would work either. Um, so land navigation becomes a lot more important because you don't know where you are unless you observe the terrain. So that that's a really key thing that even though that's the case in World War II, um, World War II is a very different ball game to, to what, um, to what uh, Everglade will be. And also Everglade is the first campaign we've ever done that has no no optics for weapons. Apart from, apart from designated marksmen, snipers, and things like that. So riflemen, ARs, fire team, there'll be no sights, so the engagement distance will close substantially. So obviously those that are going there on Sunday, um, we just need to be wary that there is some balancing that will need to be done. It's the first time we've done stuff like that. So the, we may need to balance the AI and things like that, but it's going to be a lot more challenging for that reason. But I've got a feeling it will work quite nicely. I think we do have an over-reliance on optics and it'll be interesting to see what... I mean, some of us actually prefer iron sights. I know people like Mason, they just take their ACOGs off and they much prefer iron sights. So, but it will be very interesting to see. But so, so the people that enjoy that and that find that a nice experience will go to it. And if you don't enjoy that and you, you just can't play armour without a sight or a GPS, and that's, then just don't go to it. That's the beauty of the system. You've got the choice. But what we will do quite closely is monitor the feedback from that campaign because certain elements of that we may want to apply to other campaigns and i'm not saying that you know we're going to take sites away from every campaign but things like gps you know if we don't need them um i personally i think in vietnam i lead better when i don't have one because i'm more aware of my surroundings but that's that's my personal opinion but uh, there's a lot of stuff like that with everglade everglade also has a lot more uh, restrictions to weight. So it's basically impossible to overload yourself because there is no way that a rifleman can actually put enough kit in the bag and the vest and the uniform they've got to be over 30 kilos or over 32 kilos. I think the heaviest loadout is the heavy anting tank, which is like 36 or something like that. So it's a very different campaign. Dung will correct me, but there's also some things with body armour and things like that. But, you know... I'm looking for. I'm away this weekend, but I'm looking forward to seeing the ARs <laughs> when I get back. <laughs> well, uh, I agree about your assessment about uh, increasing your situation awareness just through having to think and engage your brain. And as White Wolf would love to say, you have to get your head in the game. 
Hey, there it is. Hey. <laughs> uh, and you, you have to be active and proactive in your navigation in your target callouts. And while some would say that needs some more skill, it would also uh, immerse yourself a little more, I think. Yeah, well, we, those are, that aren't like, I mean, Unitaf, you never used to get a GPS, actually. When, when we first started, the only people that had GPS were fire teamers and above. And um, I think the way I try and explain it to people is if you're sat somewhere and you've got a GPS, you know exactly where you are. And so you're lazy with your situational mm -hmm. awareness because you just know that at any point, if you don't know where you are, you can look. Uh, oh, also, I forgot to mention, there's also no C-tab. Um, I think I did. we did some research, basically. The US Army had about 300 GPS units at that time. And so they were only very rarely used for much larger units and obviously aircraft and vehicles and things like that. But it was very uncommon for infantry units to, to be tracked in such a way. Um, but um, you're very lazy, whereas when we never used to have GPS, I always used to remember when I play that I would look at a hill differently than I look at it now. I don't just go, oh, that's a hill. I go, it's that hill. Yeah. And that's how I knew where I was and which way I was going. So you look at the terrain completely differently and you have to study it. Um, and I think that's what um, some people were talking about in the chat before, which is, you know, once you've got all this technology and it does all that stuff for you, you are literally just shooting. That's the part of the game that you're playing. Whereas if you take this stuff away and you strip it back, you're doing a lot more and therefore there's less time for shooting because you've got to first know where the fuck you're going and then all these other things. So it can it can increase the the game experience, I think. And at the same time, when you've got the GPS or CTAP overlay open at all times, because why not? You've got it, right? And some routes are marked with a with a blue line. You get tunnel vision on your GPS overlay to follow that line and disregard terrain, defilade, and even what's ahead. And you miss contacts. I've had that happen. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so this is on the campaign briefing. So if you've not read it, um, the points are on there um to read but yeah i mean it'll be interesting to read the ars there's elements of the maps and the uh gps and the c tab restrictions that we may look to apply to other campaigns but it will depend on how we adapt to to, to everglade but it's certainly something i'm quite keen on i know a lot of the leaders are keen on uh on making some changes on that front looking at the chat it's not like uh, uh, worth there was a risk we were going to have to um, encourage people to engage with the change, and actually, it looks like we're going to be beating people up with a stick. So that's all good. What were the other? Um, so, so that's Everglades. If you're not familiar, go read the campaign or It's um, 1984 um, against Soviets uh, in a hypothetical invasion of Finland. I think it is Denmark. Denmark. I'm sure it's. Okay, I'll take your word for it, Zig. Vid is in Denmark. Norway? Nor Norway. Have you read the campaign briefing? Yes. Okay. Have you read this feature we just talked about? Super <laughs> convincing there, Zig. <laughs> Should we talk about Poseidon? Were we all on it? Uh, yes, yeah, I, was. I think we all were. Yep. How did everyone find it? Oh. Oh, <laughs> I, it was it was certainly interesting. That's um, <laughs> one word for it. Yeah, um, my 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 room was unusually warm, uh, probably from the heat from my PC. Just uh... <laughs> tongues angry and chat because we're talking about it and he can't react to it. So uh... <laughs> no, I I enjoyed myself. Uh, 
it was a nice operation. I didn't really like that terrain on this one island, just because you had to be a mountain climber to traverse from one side to the other. But it it is an interesting uh, campaign, even just for the new op far, being uh, the Chinese or PLA, and with their different tactics, they've got a lot of very powerful weapons. And honestly, some stuff looks very similar to US stuff, so I'm foreseeing some PID issues there. Yeah, I think uh, I, I was uh, I was not in the midst of the action, shall we say. So my experience will be mostly different to, to people that were at the front line. But I think the second half of the op certainly was an improvement. The first half was obviously a challenge and... There was a lot of lessons learned from a technical perspective. I think there's always, there's always, I mean, one of the reasons why Everglade this weekend's limited, and I apologise to anyone that's not got a slot and sitting on the reserves list. But I think there is an element with these first missions of campaigns of these have not been tested at scale, maps, tech, mods, um, and so we have to be maybe a little bit more cautious than we were on the first one for Poseidon. Um, at the same time. Them. My, sorry, I think we learned our lesson from the first part, as he said. Once we hit the main island with the airfield, we got ahead in the game and we made good progress. There with, it is again. <laughs> with less recklessness. <laughs> Even though we still had, had a long way to go and a lot to learn, the no, change was remarkable. Well, I think the other thing as well, is, so I, I, what I said to the guys as well, and I can't speak for the people that are on the front line, but, but from my perspective, with perfect performance, like i.e. technical performance and FPS and without the sort of issues of the uh, Chinese body armor and the fact that their uh, weapons seem to disable an APC at very uh, e relative ease. The whole atmosphere I thought was amazing. Like if you took away those issues, I, I think it would have been incredible. Like I think it's the scale of it and the, and that I enjoyed. Um, but yeah, it's most people know that the first mission of any campaign is the stumbling block and sometimes you get lucky and it's really good but a lot of the time it's about getting the first one out of the way and then and then making those changes and those improvements and it tends to get better from there I mean, you've only got to look at the whole of 2019 to see that that's applicable not even on a campaign basis but on a unit-wide basis um so yeah i'm looking forward to seeing seeing where we get with it yeah um Skull, maybe for you, do we have any <laughs> updates on uh, Parable? I just might, yes. God, uh, I we... can't look at the chat. <laughs> no, you can't. <laughs> I turned away from it. <laughs> it's going to so keep distracting Parable me. finished in Zeranon Fallujah. Um, first with a bang, but then followed up by a fantastic prison break that I said they couldn't make it to. But I... Um, Parable as a whole got, got good feedback. And we're looking forward to continuing that very soon. Um, we're about to schedule the first mission in the next theater of war. I'm not sure how much I want to tease or can tease, but there's fresh and it's on a new map. And I'm very much looking forward to it. Uh, I don't what we can say is Operation Parable, highest rate campaign of all time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Not that you can take all the credit for that, because but uh... Uh, i'm happy to <laughs> graciously accept all of the credit yeah well I, I say that with relative caution because the the campaign teams for the larger campaigns know that the campaigns with the smaller all bats and with the less overall slots generally will have a high rating so um, i say that <laughs> I with a, say, an asterisk i have to say though that um 
taking over Parable as as a brand was sort of intimidating because it came with well, I wouldn't want to say baggage, but expectations. And to meet ten them, out of ten, yeah, to to meet them has been a ride. So I hope you you join me on the next step of on our journey. And Dungworth also just teased what we're doing. We're playing as German KSK in the German SF. And also officially say that the um, the combat support FTX has ended, so we're now allowed to talk about perfect important Ooh. stuff. I've actually seen the <laughs> listener from twenty five to twenty nine. So, <laughs> uh, anything else for campaigns? Sapphire, tell us about Sapphire. Oh, right. Okay. Yes. Yes. I, I guess I will. Uh, if you have been involved with it, you know that the map was its main hindrance, or at least it felt to me like it was. Uh, didn't really perform the way I wanted it to, especially for Sunday operations. So we changed the map to GOS uh, Al Rayak, a more urban area, uh, or the rural area. Uh, akin to some of what you might have seen in Lithium, uh, Brimstone's map. And it is shifting its focus from what is happening on the mainland to what is happening on its outliers in some of the riverbeds with a lot of uh, black market trade going on and things like that. So expect a lot more coin. There is a platoon-sized operation next week, Friday. Correct me if I'm wrong, James. I'm I'm leading, yeah. Yeah. Correct. 40 40 peoples. Perfect. Yeah, so expect more on that front. Uh, Me, Prius, and Dungworth will be working hard to bring its reputation up to a Brimstone level, I'd say. We've got a lot of chance of Brimmy 2.0 in the the chat. (laughs) I'm uh, not in the chat. Sorry, I can't see that one. So in all all seriousness, I, I, I do a HQ update every week to NCOs and this was a topic of of the most recent uh, one but in summary what I, what I said was we're probably going to deactivate Brimstone because there's still a few residual ops going on but we're probably going to deactivate it as a campaign because it's been and it's gone right? <laughs> it, it's, it's, a, it's got a legacy and the legacy's there to stay and there's no point in dragging it out anymore but what we will say is what the revised Sapphire is doing so what, what Zuka just spoke about with Sapphire if you went to the original Sapphire on the old map forget about that if you didn't like it try out the new one because it's the closest to Brimstone in essence um, of what Brimstone was about but talking of Brimstone um, what we will do we are encouraging and we will do at some point is revisit um you can call it Brimstone 2.0 if you want, but it won't be the same. We'll probably revisit the same map. We've got another map in mind um, other than Lithium to start this on. Is a campaign that's much earlier in the time. So Brimstone was 2016 Syria, probably much earlier, something like 2000, 2001, with lower tech, so without the MRAPs and things like that, but in a very similar environment. One of the, one of the biggest parts of the success of Brimstone was the map. Um, you know, lithium is a highly performant map, and it's huge, and it's got lots of variety of terrain. But also, as Zuka said before, one of the other successes of Brimstone was the sheer consistency of it. Um, there were two ops a week, pretty much without fail, on Brimstone. The leadership was very solid, and um, you know the performance was very good, and that's one of the you know biggest reasons for its success. But definitely expect to see something 
very similar to it. It's just not going to be the same because we don't want to do the same thing again. But we we definitely revisit lithium at some point, which is why we want to deactivate Boomstone so we stop playing it all the time and then we it's a bit fresher when we go back. Um, but if anyone wants to get involved in that, we have got some residual plans in place for a new campaign, probably to start quarter one this year, maybe quarter two, once we've got a campaign team together. So it should be uh, soon TM, should we say. Good old soon TM. <laughs> Another big feature that was uh, brought in with uh, SITREP 16 was a big change to recruits and their associated fatigue. Uh, I've joked about it before, but I'm not a recruit. I can't make any any comments on it, on if that helped me or would have helped me if I was a recruit. So it's always it would be nice to hear from some recruits as well if, if it is going to be helping them or if it does have the desired effect of, and as James will soon say, Bringing or like making the, the the way, paving the way a bit for your way to private if you're a recruit. Not sure. Hmm. I gotta be careful how I word this. Mm, I'm not yeah. sure we were. I'm not sure we were trying to help recruits at all, really. Um. And, and I mean, for all the recruits listening, in the nicest possible way. Um. Being a recruit is like running a juggernaut. Um. We we've changed our approach to recruitment a lot. Um, and those of you that have been members for a year will know the way that we handle you know in the early days of the unit we had to beg people to join it's the it's very opposite now and so what we try and do when we recruit is be very clear with people that they're going to struggle for slots and this is how the system works and you know it's like it's like fighting in a piranha tank when you want to attend a mission like we have to be honest with them about these things and if anything we've we've tried to make being a recruit more painful than not being one for exactly the reason that it's a relief when you're out of it and so if people can last through the process then they'll end up staying for longer what we don't want is a high level of turnover in that phase so if people are going to give up let's make them give up at the application stage the candidate stage or the recruit stage and not at the regular stage and the statistics pretty much speak to that so part of the change was we want people to spend enough time that they understand how the unit functions how it works and that they don't dislike being in infantry roles. Because if you dislike being in infantry roles, you're going to struggle long term. And so that's really where the change comes from. And, um, you know, if if you really have a tendency towards medical or support, and that's what you really want to do, so long as you can get through that stage, then obviously you can go on to do that. But the people that don't have the fortitude or the persistence to get through that, then they won't. Uh, they obviously won't make it. They'll leave of their own accord. So it's it's sort of intentional in that way. So so by restricting recruits to not being able to access those roles, the kicker that we wanted to give them as a benefit was the the fatigue bonus, basically. So it was as I sort of worded it, really taken away with one hand but given with another. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> Minnie's point there. <laughs> Can anyone spare a slot? Can anyone spare a slot? <laughs> Just a morsel of a slot, please. <laughs> but yeah, again, double-edged sword, uh, sword really. Uh, Soon it's going to turn into these meddling recruits and uh, no fatigue slotting. <laughs> <laughs> It's uh, just going to turn into privates just leaving and remaking new accounts. Just on a, like, with, <laughs> with a moustache and with a fake nose and glasses. Oh, wait, I thought that was what you were doing. White oh. wolf, blue wolf. Yeah, actually, uh, yeah, I've started that with uh, various different wolves. 
<laughs> um, my, 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 uh, on a serious note, I don't know if the feedback we need to hear is from recruits or if it's from regulars, because my one of our biggest concerns, obviously, was what the effect would be on regulars when recruits basically had a massive benefit to getting right that you know there's a lot of regulars that really like being just a rifleman you know they don't want to be anything fancy they just want to be a rifleman or an 80 light so it doesn't have to be now but obviously regulars how have they found all about releases and things like that have they struggled more because obviously that that's something that may influence the way that we balance systems in the future do we count as regulars well not really well, we're all, re- we're all regulars, but we slot in very different ways. Uh, you know, it's about twice a month I actually have to use the slotting system because, you know, when I'm not a field leader, and it's it's nerve-wracking as fuck when you have to slot, isn't it? Um, so uh, I don't think I can really t- talk to it that much. Oh, Johnson, we'll get to that one in a in a hot minute. All I know is I was sat there once trying to get a rotary slot, and I'm sat there, and the clock says, oh, I refresh the pet, and fucking Nomad's got it. <laughs> 15 seconds before release yeah. <laughs> I blinked <laughs> that's an interesting point actually we probably we, there's stats in this I've never run them but there'll be stats in the system as to how quick people are at doing slotting it might be an interesting thing to run <laughs> anything Good more it? on nah. crew fatigue <laughs> I think we've murdered it. <laughs> uh, another big point. In, oh, no, go yeah, on. go ahead. Go, 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 go. No, you. No, you do. Oh, right, okay. Unisocial. Oh, damn it. I want to do a segue. Oh, <laughs> do do it now. Hold on. <laughs> I thought I was going to add something to the fucking video. Like, no, you go. And, uh, <laughs> oh, no, I wanted to do it. <laughs> Unisocial, of course, being a big change or a new system introduced for rallying players outside of Arma with it making a voice channel separate for the specific game you are rallying players from or for uh, as well with some other improvements and even more coming as well uh, to when you want to get pinged filtering games, bringing in new games, things like that Uh, (laughs) I think it's always been there, hasn't it? It's not, it's not groundbreaking. But yeah. It, a bit of an update to help people connect when they're not playing armor. It, it's single-handedly ruining people's lives because they, they're not doing anything other than, you know, just when you're about to do something productive, someone pings you with a game that you really want to play. So, it, I mean, it's solving the problem that it's designed to solve, but um, I joke slightly about the fact it removes you from the channel. When, when you've played too much, it will just kick you out and you're no longer <laughs> allowed, to, uh, allowed to. But no, in all seriousness, we will, we will, uh, we'll fix that. Um, there's no, there's nothing in the Discord API that lets you, or at least in the raw Discord API, that lets you check how many people are in a channel. So it just assumes that you're finished and then eats you out of it. But we'll, we'll add some sort of fail safe to that. Hello, Scotty. First appearance today. Since the FTX. True, yeah. Uh, and to just quickly go back to the point of CSIPs, did we, did we ever explain what a CSIP is? Because I, I also had to ask, because CSIP, what the hell is a CSIP? It's a continuous well, we, yeah, SOP we, improvement program. Thanks. We, we used to call them SOP reviews. Yeah. So basically, the, the, the CSIP is when we... We we change SOP all the time. Like people will be aware that we will update SOP all the time, but occasionally we'll look at an entire area, like medical, and we'll go right time for a rehash. 
and everything gets deleted and rewritten. That's what a CSIP is. We used to call it SOP improvement or SOP reviews, but CSIP stands for Continual SOP Improvement Program. So that's essentially when we agree, yeah, this area needs to be rewritten. And then we create what's called a CSIP. And a CSIP is a it, it, yes, it's part of continual soft improvement, but it's actually a team of people. So you can you can join a CSIP, um, and there are four there are four active CSIPs at the moment: um, CSIP Medical, CSIP Leadership, CSIP Mission Support, and CSIP LOAC. And so, what you can read from that is that at some point this year, depending on the speed of the CSIPs, there's going to be a complete rewrite of Medical Leadership, Mission Support, and the LOAC part of Core Infantry. So. What we essentially do is the CSIP will have an objective. So what is it that we want to achieve from the rewrite? So if you think about comms last year, what did we want to achieve out of that? And um, they'll go through the process of rewriting the SOPs. It doesn't mean everything's going to be deleted. It's not like you're going to wake up one week. Oh my God, just seen that image. <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> um, oh my God. <laughs> wow. I feel sorry for people that listen to this on 12. You know. <laughs> You're missing the best part of it, guys. Join live. Um, also, sorry, think, James, but calling them like a complete change of SOP is is a is a bit. Yeah, so it's not that. Obviously, those of you yeah. that looked at look think of ComSOP for those of you that were old ComSOP. The majority of the process is the same. Um, some of the words and terms have changed, and there's maybe more more structure in it. Um, it's. It's exactly what it sounds like, SOP improvement program. So even if whether you disagree with the, whether it's an improvement or not, it's essentially a rehash of something, make, improving it, changing things that we think need to be changed. Um, so we're not going to talk too much about the CSIPs, but but to give you an overview of what, what's planned and when, and it was in the in the SITREP of 16, um, medical SITREP, uh, medical, medical CSIP, the team there are working on a brief of, we don't want medical to be, from the respect of how long you will be down for any more punishing or any less punishing than it currently is. So we, uh, we sort of deem the acceptable time that you can be unconscious to be about 15 minutes and you can sort your own entertainment when you're unconscious. That's up to you. But what we're working on is what, what interests for the medic there are in that 15 minute period and the effect on the unit. So, and also there's a lot of focus on um, how we can continue better to operate as a combat unit during those periods. So when we have lower unit cohesion due to to medical uh, situations, uh, part of the focus of that CSIP is how do we continue to achieve the mission during that that time. Um, They are being open-minded, so we are looking at, I don't want to cause too much concern around UNITAF, but we are looking at different medical mods and all sorts of things. But it's probably only going to get more complicated. It's not going to get less complicated. So the... The other part of the CSIP is how do we make it more interesting for the medics without making it overly more complicated for the people that aren't interested in medical is basically the gist of it. So, you know, this isn't confirmation of anything changing because a CSIP is is a is a process and they'll come up with a recommendation, but it might equally be that we say we don't like it and nothing changes. So don't take this as a positive indication of anything um, other than an improvement in some direction. Also, again, it isn't like a rewrite or something you have to be afraid of. Oh my God, everything's going to be changing. Uh, especially in the case of mission support, a lot of it is just going to be expanding and writing all the stuff down that, especially for newcomers, is not uh, something natural yet, just so they have something to go back to and something to read and something they can use as a guide uh, instead of 
having to look around and ask and find someone who who has the time to help you really yeah and, and we're looking at a lot of things and per, not permanent death is obviously not one of them but one of the things we will look at is 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 death and how that could maybe be tied in because at the moment death's not possible yeah, unless you're down for 30 minutes but but it's almost certainly that, that that will halve to 15 minutes so what we're saying is the 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 maximum acceptable time unconscious is about 15 minutes and after that time something's going to happen to you but at least you won't be staring at a black screen and that might be a reinsertion or something like that but obviously we're doing a pretty piss poor job if 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 you're unconscious for 15 minutes so um look it's a, it's a big topic and if you're really really interested in that CSIP come speak to me or Kevin we might be able to get you involved with it but those teams are pretty close uh close knit for the reason that you know it could take 12 months to do it, to to do a review if we've got too many opinions so um work is is underway and and similarly without spending too much time on CSIPs leadership is the oldest sop so it was written first and it's not really been reviewed and there's a lot of stuff in there that you know just doesn't exist or needs improvement um and so that's going to be a big focus of this year is, is a leadership review. Mission support doesn't even exist, so it needs to be written. And LOAC and CEPA, as we talked about before, but we added in June, I think it was like June of this year, pretty much for Overture, we added uh, SOPs for like how you should deal with civilians and prisoners and detainees and who you can shoot and who you can't shoot, basically building on top of the rules of engagement. Um, a lot of people have read it, and are applying it, but the adherence to it, as I said earlier in 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 this conversation, is not as high as we would like. Um, so the review there is in view of making that even clearer, adding some additional content to it to help campaigns like like Overture and to in fact every campaign to give more options basically to GMs in how to role play out scenarios like hostage situations, like civilians. Um, we've still got some people that think it's acceptable to shoot someone that you know really should not be shot within the context of LOAC and it's not because uh, hey this is a game so why can't I shoot him it's because of the opportunities that arise out of that restraint basically from a role play perspective um, so there's a lot going on in that regard and there should be some exciting updates I can't really give timescales on it because it completely depends on how the work goes Certainly, those four things this year will will happen at some point, and you'll be given more than enough time of notice when you when that happens. And I think on the note of CSIBs, we can also start looking ahead into future stuff. And since we've uh, turned the page over to a new year, as a New Year's resolution, what do you reckon we want to be looking at primarily? sort of quality, quality of life with the CSIBs, of course. What else is coming up? I think if there was, oh, we talked about this, didn't we? I mean, if there's, if there's a theme for 2022, it probably is quality, right? Um, we've grown exponentially. We're probably going to continue to grow. What's more challenging is controlling the quality of that growth. We, we can do that at the recruitment stage, but the people's ability to adhere to SOP is the most important thing because otherwise you know a lot of people's learning doesn't come from the SOP itself it comes from picking it up from other people you know a lot of people that have picked up the new CONSOP probably never bothered re reading it and probably never went to an FTX they're picking it up off the squad leaders and the fire team you know that they're working with and so the, the focus for this year is quality in essence not just the quality of the written SOP so rewriting our SOP to, to have higher quality but improving the quality of the execution of that SOP by 
a enforcing it if we feel it needs enforcing and um improving the way that we train people which as you say we've got some exciting news about coming up in a minute but um you know we're doing quality of life stuff all the time i think that should just be the overarching focus this year hmm. skull you got a segue for this one or should i ruin it as well oh you've done so well so far perfect There oh, it was, is, was, was that bad enough? Was that bad enough? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Great work. <laughs> probably the media's topic of this Tafcast, uh, role certification system. Just throwing the name out there. Let it simmer for a second. And oh, they're writing. <laughs> they're writing. <laughs> in, in, case you, in case you didn't catch it there, he said certification system. Qualification. <laughs> so, oh, it's, no, it, it's a certificate. Oh, my God. Wow. Wow. Um, so that anyone that's been around for long enough and has ever looked at the roadmap will know that there's been an item on there called qualifications. And any of the really, really old folk, basically nobody in here but me, other than, well, you know, out of Zuka Wild and Scott. But there might be some people that were here in, in 2019 listening. Um, well, no, we used to have something very similar instead of the tier system, before the tier system. I mean, Squiddo's here. Squiddo will know, because he's an old timer. Um, but to, to contextualize this a little bit, for those that don't know, so when we, in 2019, there was no tiers and there was no fatigue. So releasing an all map was a bit like just throwing, throwing it out there and saying, you know, beat each other up, see what happens. You know, in 2020, we said, well, hang on a minute. Surely it makes sense that the people with the most experience can can get those slots. And so we designed and implemented the tier system. And then in 2021, so many people had the same tiers that we were like, shit, now Nomad's stealing all the slots. How do we, how do we slow him down? And so, <laughs> and so sorry, no. It's targeted at all, no. <laughs> so... So we introduced fatigue. Tears and fatigue have been the two biggest changes to Unitaph. In terms of, you think about Unitaph, the most unique thing about it is the dynamic all system. And so whenever we change the dynamic all system in a fundamental way, that that's something I would consider major. And we've only ever changed it twice, and that was with fatigue and before it tears. And so what we're announcing is that we're going to change it again this year. Um... And that's going to evolve what was previously on the roadmap called qualifications, but it's not going to be called qualifications. As Zuka said, it's going to be called the RCS or the role qualification system. Um, and before we talk, yeah. Just say qualification again. I am drinking, so if I make errors, that's exactly. <laughs> um, Just looking at the word certification on our document and wondering when one of you is going to say it. Yeah. <laughs> but, but go back to what we just said like the focus of the issue is quality right and this is why this is a topic this is why this is going to be something we're going to talk about because the purpose of he, he's actually rewriting it on our briefing document now to say the wrong word <laughs> in hopes that I'm going to um, I, don't, I don't want to worry anyone because some, there'll be two types of people listening to this um, either live or on, Tafcast, uh, on, on Spotify some of them will be thinking oh shit that sounds terrible and some of them will thinking this sounds great um, so it's important that we set the scene to explain where we're coming from with this. Um, 
the when we in, implemented the tier system, tier, the tier system, we already knew what the two biggest problems were, right? And and everyone will probably know because you've used it for long enough. The two biggest issues with the tier system is um, you can be uh, you could join tomorrow, you could have ten thousand hours, you could perfectly adapt to our shop like a duck to water, and yet you could really struggle in that system. Um, and equally, you could uh, you could have been here two years, be absolutely terrible at your at your role, but be deemed to be very experienced. So it, it, there's a, a sweet spot in the middle where it works. But in, in general, for a system that requires no administration, so the system is 100% automated, the only thing that it requires is people to make it run and go to FTXs and everything else is completely automated. It does its job. Um, but we need to solve those two problems. And we always said we were going to solve them, but now is around the time to do it. Um, so oh, how do we how do we explain this? <laughs> so there's two types of people. Let, let's use the two examples of the type of people. There's person A who they've joined, they're really competent, and you know they just want to be a radio operator or they just want to be a fire team leader. And Very non-targeted. <laughs> and then there's Nomad. <laughs> and you know they, they, they understand the tier system, but it's incredibly difficult um, to get certain tiers. I mean, if certainly in low, low uh, traffic roles, um, you can use Rotary Pilot as an example. Um, to be a Rotary Pilot, which have a good chance of it, you need tier one in Rotary. And you can go to the FTX if you manage to get a slot on one and get those hours. But to get the, the op hours for it, you need the slot. And to get the slot, you need the tier. So it's a bit of a vicious cycle. And we, and we know that. And we know things like the learner slots go some way to, to help with that. So, so that's person A, and person A would be the type of person who, if given the opportunity to, to uh, let's say, be tested, um, would take that opportunity, and they, they're more than happy to be judged in order to, to fast-track that system, shall we say. Um, person B is someone who is perhaps newer to the game. They're not that fussed about it. They're happy with the tier system, and it works for them, but they're more focused on improving their own ability, and they perhaps don't have the already have the experience that person A has. And so where they would benefit from a system like that if they used it is it's a way of them being able to see what they're good at, what they need to improve on, and it sort of provides a bit of a roadmap for them to, to progress to. Um, but overall... The purpose of this change or this system is to um, improve the quality of the leaders, improve the quality of the pilots, improve the quality of the of everything of everyone. Um, that that's the purpose of this system. It's going to arbitrarily solve a lot of these little niggly issues that people have got, hopefully, but um, but it will do so in a way that also in increases the quality of, of of everyone in every role. Um, is that set this? I know we've not really talked about how it's going to work yet, but hopefully that set the scene. Have I missed anything that we think? Because you guys have been briefed on this, so I think we've amply hyped it up. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, getting into how it works is, I think. Yeah. So, so, so a couple of things. Um, and if at any point this doesn't make sense, you guys in the live chat are just going to have to let me know, right? Because we've talked about this for a while, so we we know what we're talking about. But obviously, a lot of this is the first time we're talking about it with people that you know, it's really going to have an impact on. So um, the first question is, what effect will this have on slotting, right? Because uh, well, we'll talk about how they work in a minute in terms of how can you get them, but how will it affect slotting? So at the moment, when an all-back releases, you can only slot if you've got the tier for the role. And then it, obviously 24 hours up, up tier one, 48 hours up tier two. 
The way that certifications will affect slotting is if you've got certification, that is to say, if you're certified, you can slot on release, irrespective of what your tier is. So it doesn't matter. It's, it's optional. You can have the tier or you can have the certification. Your choice, how you decide to do it. In fact, the tier, the tier system is not optional, as you know. You have to participate in it. You can't opt out. Um, the certification system, you can. It's optional. You can use it if you want. You don't have to use it. That's your choice. Then I'm not saying that in the future we won't enforce it for certain roles. We may well do that. But... Um, but this is um, at the moment going to be optional, um, so they they're not. It's not replacing the tier system; they'll work side by side. Um, the second thing: uh, does it apply to every role? One of the unique things about this RCS system is tiers are to combat areas. So you've, there's twelve. Is there ten? I don't know. There's, let's just say there's ten. There's ten combat areas, and you have a tier in each. And if you don't get involved in that combat area, your tier is obviously tier zero. Certifications are not applied to entire combat areas. They're entire to specific roles. So whereas you can be tier five in field leadership, you can't have a certification in field leadership. Your certification could be in fire team leading, it could be in squad leading, it could be in platoon leading. So that's another major difference between a certification and between a tier. Um, and the other thing is that certifications will... It's, it's a system where when we implement it, um, they'll work side by side. So say if we implemented it tomorrow, and I'll talk about what the timescale will be on this afterwards. If we implemented it tomorrow, you wouldn't notice a thing because nobody's got a certification. So you wouldn't notice any difference. It, it's a staggered implementation because when we release it, it will only have any effect on slotting when there's a certification that exists. So what we'll do is we'll probably implement it There'll be no change. And then at one point we'll say, right, we're now going to release certifications for FTL, SL and PL. And it's only at that point when a certification exists for a role that it ever has any impact on the slotting. If there's no certification for a role, it falls back to the tier system as everyone is used to it. So it'll only change the slotting dynamic if a certification is created for that role. And we don't intend to create certifications for every role. Things like riflemen, anti-tank riflemen, light, we might not create them for it, but most tier one roles and beyond probably will, in the long run, have certifications. So that's the third or fourth thing, depending on where we're at. So hopefully that sets a bit of a... Is there anything else, White Wolf, you think that I need to mention before we talk into how it works? Let me just pull up my document. Um, um, no, I think... Uh... I think you've covered it off. We've talked about it quite a lot of the past few days at least. It's been th thinking about it. I think one of the things to probably remember is um like w this is this is kind of the proposal as it stands at the moment that we think is going to work uh, and there's an element of well you know there's there's going to be things that we that we see on release whenever that is. Um so I think we've kind of just got to roll with it. I think it's definitely best. It, it, like I think um, it's definitely for the best. And I think looking at the chat, there's a bit of agreement on it as well. There's definitely people in both categories were listening. But yeah, I think um, I, I think we've just got to kind of see the positives and like uh, like like with everything that we were discussing beforehand about minor changes that um, people may have been slightly averse to. This is one of those that definitely goes into less category. Like it's definitely for the right reason definitely been thought about um and i think it'd be really good so 
no, I can't yeah. think of anything else. It's a really good point which you raise, which I we always should put a caveat in front of this feature section of Tafcast, which is um look, a lot of what we're talking about is still being worked on. So it's subject to change. And until you read it in a sit rep, um consider everything I say to be absolute BS. But it's a pretty good indication of what, what it's gonna look like. And obviously part of talking about it on Tafcast is you want to hear people's feedback and we want to hear what they've got to say and they might say something and we go oh shit we didn't think about that um so just to summarize what i've just said so certifications are per role whereas tiers are per combat area so very different um certifications sort of if you think about it like this certification require human verification so it's like a human input whereas tiers don't they're completely automatic um certifications will be more difficult to achieve than tiers like technical sense but they will take less time Tiers take a long time to achieve. If you're trying to get a high tier, it certainly does. Um, but they're relatively easy because all you have to do is turn up. If you could, if you consider the difficulty of getting the slot in the first place, maybe you would disagree and say that they're difficult. But, um, everyone has a tier. It's a mandatory system. You cannot opt out of it. Whereas with certifications, if you don't want to get involved, you don't have to at the moment. Um, unless in the future there's a role where we say you must have it. Um, and the effect on slotting is that you if a role has a certification which not all roles will but let's say a role does let's say fire team leader has a certification your options for slotting is you either have the tier or you have the certification and then down the line we may make a, a caveat to say you need both but like i say that's all speculation at this point certainly won't happen on initial imp implementation um tiers are another way i like to explain it to people is tiers are about training and practicing so what a tier is about is if you're Maybe you don't feel comfortable and you're new and you want to. You want someone to show you how things work and explain it to you and hold your hand. That's what tiers are for. Training, FTX practices is all about learning and applying that learning. Certifications are not about that. Certifications are about testing. And what we're looking is we're saying, do you understand it? And it's not necessarily about holding your hand at all. It's a completely different way of, uh, of assessing. So that, that's the summary of, of what I've just said. We talked a bit about the effect on slotting um, and I sort of mentioned about what roles will and won't have certifications. And, and certainly this is going to be a process. Um, sorry, someone's just tagged me. I'm not yeah, sure what the, the context of the question is. There's a lot of questions in chat. I've been monitoring it. So uh, Go for it. Let's do questions now and then we can come on. Okay. To uh, one good point from Vike is, say someone already has the tiers in every area they're interested in why would they go for certifications and i re remember you saying something about slotting priorities that's something you want to get in yeah good question so at the moment on initial release what we're saying is that it will be either or so either certification or tier and that's because what we need to do is when we when we've implemented stuff like this we can't we can't just throw shit at the wall and see what sticks so that's how it will work initially but where i speak with caution and what i sort of said at the top is we will not rule out a circumstance where if in six months time cert systems bedded in everyone sort of understands how it works if we've got let's say a tier four pilot who hasn't bothered doing any certs and we've got 20 pilots that have done the certs then you should probably expect that you're going to end up getting bumped down the slot priority in the formulas that we end up releasing after that but on initial release that probably won't be the case because we'll, we'll Give them the benefit of the doubt and hope that you will get involved. Another one or another question is 
Uh, will this also include upper leadership, so platoon leader, company leader, and things like that? Absolutely. I remember seeing something with expanding on it even more, for example, being a platoon leader for a mechanized company or a airborne company. Yeah, well, definitely ask that because I think that's in the next section that I'll explain. But the, the first question about does it apply to everyone? Uh, irrespective of rank the answer is yes but bear in mind obviously on on release if people have already got the tiers they might be less ob- they might feel less obligation to do it than somebody who doesn't because they'll want to you know but but they'll start competing but if you, if you think about it this way if you've got um a group of people that have got high tier in an area that affords them to every slot in that area and that, that's fine that's how the system works but once we've created all these certifications which is going to take time and they're bedded in you're going to end up with a situation where you've got a, a small group of people that have got the tiers that give them a sort of trump card to access every slot. You've got a bunch of people that have got the certification, and so we know they're definitely capable. At that point, we would probably say, right, we're going to adjust the formula now to say, if you've got the tier but not the certification, we're going to alter your fatigue, or you're not going to be prioritised over someone that's got both, for example. So um, there definitely will be some rebalancing in that, but we'll have to see how it starts working first. And we very, I'm very much look at it like at the moment we're solving the problem of the person that can't get the tier because they can't get the slot we'll solve that first and then when we see an issue of people not using the system then we'll come back to solve that ah oh, more great questions uh, you want to expand on the second part of it with uh, there's i'm go- in a minute i'll explain mm-hmm. how they'll work so like how you get them and at that point i'll explain the second question that you asked because it will make more sense. Okay, yeah, the third question is also in, in that ballpark. So, Is there any questions on stuff? That- what a certification is and, and, how, and how you get them, how, how it's deemed to work. So Zuka asked a question there, which is, Is um, saying when are we going to know what vehicles are on orbats and all this sort of stuff? And what we realised is um, you've got a role like platoon leader, but platoon leader is a pretty wide term because you can have um, you can have an infantry platoon leader, you can have a mechanised platoon leader, you can have a weapons platoon leader. So when we roll out certifications, um, certifications only apply to a role. So it's not like there's a, a massive list of them. Each role c- can either have a certification or it can't have one. But we're going to release variations of roles. So at the moment where you've got platoon leader, there might be three different variants of platoon leader. There might be platoon leader infantry, platoon leader weapons, platoon leader mechanised, as three examples. Where that has benefits that don't really even relate to this is when you're looking at an orbat, you can see what type of platoon it is. Or you can see what type of squad it is. Or you can see what vehicle it is, because it doesn't just say light vehicle crewman driver. It might say light vehicle crewman um, Humvee or whatever the vehicle type is or to use the probably the most obvious example fixed wing pilot F-16 or fixed wing pilot A-10 each one requires a separate certification if you think about it it's it it's worked for us this this far because obviously we're, we're slap dashing with the tier system but it makes very little sense in the long term for someone to train on an A-10 and then slot as an F-16 so it will um, it will benefit in that respect so one of the 
benefits of this development is that you will see role variation on all bats. So you will know when you see a role, like a pilot slot or a vehicle or a type of leader, you'll know what type it is and you'll be able to derive a lot of information for that. But what the benefit of that is, and the reason we got to that position, by the way, is that we were saying, well, hang on, if we're making a certification system for a pilot for a Chinook, that's very different to flying a little bird. So if you get one, that's not equal to the other. So that's where that came from. Um, so that's role variation, one of the benefits of, of doing that. Um, so, and just for the field leaders that are listening or the people that make all bats, it will work very simply. So when you create the template for and you produce like a squad, once you've selected squad leader, you can tweak the variation of it. So it's not like you're going to have a drop down with 400 roles on it. You select the parent role and then you can tweak the the uh, variant. And on your dossier profiles, a lot of the statistics and loadouts, because that's the other concern, we've got uh, 100 different loadouts per faction. We've got about 2,800 loadouts in the database. You, the If you've got five variants of the role, the loadout is the same for everyone. There's no difference in saying the variant is literally just for the certification and for the visibility on the orbit, just for anyone that's technically worried about that. Um, also, you don't have to have variants of a role. Some roles could just just be plain simple what they are now. Um, but anyway, let's go back to to how it works. So I'll use an analogy to explain how certifications work because I think it's a really easy way of explaining it. Um, think of the certification system like um, you want to do um, rotary pilot general. Um or, or let's use an even easier example, uh, fire team leading. You want a fire team lead. And at the moment, obviously, you can use the tier system, things like that, but it's it's highly dependent on lots of other things. Um, if you're quite confident, and the other thing about leadership, which lends itself quite well to the RCS, is um, leadership is very difficult to assess in practice. Um, to really understand whether someone's a good leader or not, it has to be done in mission, in, in a combat scenario. And unless you're going to take that fire team out and do an FTX with them, then it's very it's very difficult to, to mimic. Um, you can do certain parts of it, sure, but a lot of these things apply under pressure only. So think of the RCS as it's not training, it's not a practice, it's assessment. It's here's the list of things that a good fire team leader would be able to do. And it's an assessment against whether you can do that or not. And again, I caveat to anyone that joined or just started listening at this point, that this is optional, you don't have to do this unless you want to go into a role that requires this. Um, so John Smith wants to be a fire team leader. So he goes to, the. there'll be a, a list of instructors that are, um, that are able to qualify fire team leaders. And he'll look at that list and go, I know Dave. Dave, I happen to be your fire team leader. I'm a junior fire team leading this Sunday. Um, you're my squad leader. After the mission, can we have a chat and have a look at my cert card? Think of it like a filing cabinet where... That squad leader, at the end of the mission, he goes to the filing cabinet, he pulls out a bit of paper, and on the top of the bit of paper it says junior fire team leader, and on the bit of paper are a load of bullet points, and those bullet points basically say you need to be able to use the radio effectively or whatever the things are. I'm not going to go into detail because I'd be sure explaining it. But think of it like there's a table and it's got loads of things on it. And next to that part of the table there's like a condition. So it says, like, does this need to be assessed under operational conditions, i.e. in mission, or under like practice conditions so I, in an FTX or can it be either or so either of the above and then there's a final column on the table which is like a box for the instructor and if he basically after the mission White Wolf 
I use a physical example, white wolf comes to me and goes, how do you think I did? And I'll go through the thing and I'll go, for anything that I didn't see you do and I've got no opinion on it, I'll just leave it blank. And for anything that I think, you know what, I think you need to improve on that, I'll put a dash through through that box. And for anything that I thought, you know what, I think you're really good at that and or you've shown massive, I'll tick that box. And so I go through the sheet, I do that and then I press submit. And at the bottom I just write, this was on Giant's Bane, blah, blah, blah. And I go back to the filing cabinet and I put a bit of paper in. The difference is, in like a traditional qualification system, the next week when White Wolf goes to the fire team meet, the instructor would go back to the filing cabinet, pull out the same bit of paper, and then he'd look at what's left and then he'd tick it. But that's not how this works. Every time the instructor goes to the filing cabinet, he pulls out another blank piece of paper and he starts again. And only you, so only White Wolf in this case, can see all of the bits of paper. Nobody else can see it. So if you go to someone's dossier, you can't see their qualifications in progress. You can't see what they're good or what they're bad at. And, and by the way, these are just opinions. When, when an instructor files a bit of paper, he's just giving his opinion. It's not factual. It's not you are bad or you are good. It's his opinion or his assessment based on uh, his observation during that mission. And so the way the RCS works is you have to say, I want to be assessed. So you have to opt in first and on what role. Then any of the people that are certified, and by the way, these instructors don't have to be NCOs. Um, anyone anyone that's a specialist or above, or SP3 or above, sorry, can be an, an instructor in an area, and I'll explain how that works in a minute. Um, and so long as they observed you, I mean, there's even the opportunity here to, to, to observe someone off of a stream. Like, it doesn't have to be, this is not an FTX, this is not a practice, it's not something you attend. This is a very passive system. And basically the gist of getting certified is quite simple. Two independent instructors, so two different people, have to give a positive opinion on every single ability applied to a role. So if a role, let's say CLS, has 10 abilities on it, two independent instructors on two separate occasions have to give a positive opinion on all 10 abilities. And if that happens, you are certified. It's as simple as that. Um, if, if, for example, um, two instructors do it on two separate occasions, but one of them says you need improvement in these three areas. Um, the level of confidence is obviously less than 100%. So what happens then is, it doesn't have to be the same instructor. If another instructor comes along, a third instructor, and he rates you positive on everything, you might be at 66%. So basically you'll be able to see this, but all it requires is two independent instructors giving 100%. Or if, if you can't get that, if it's four instructors, then it would be like 75% and one of the instructors might have been. So it's just a balance of opinion. And again, nobody else but you can see this. And so to go back to the example of the two types of people, the person that's competitive and thinks they know everything and is happy to be assessed, what they benefit from is the speed of the system and the ability that if they're proactive in approaching instructors and and getting themselves into positions to be assessed, then they can speed up their progression. And for someone that's not competitive, but it's like perhaps less experienced with armour and is more cautious about their learning, where they benefit from it is being able to go to their dossier. I get asked all the time when I squad lead by fire team, especially new ones, what, is there anything I could have done differently? For me to be able to look at a list and actually give them some constructive feedback and for them to then be able to go to their dossier, look at that and go, that's his... Literally, it tells me here what apparently I need to improve on. Even if you disagree with that, that's the opinion of the instructors. It provides a very simple thing for them to look at and um, understand what, what they've got to do um, to improve. So in a roundabout way, that's sort of how it works. And so it's 
it's not to do with FTXs. It's not a new type of event. It's a passive thing that can be done over time, and it's a self-policing system. So I, I mentioned a bit about instructors before. Um, in in a way, the system is self-policing because we we agree a standard, just like when we make SOPs up, that someone will draft the SOP, and then we all look at it and we decide whether that's a good direction or not. And um, the same thing happens with a role. So take CLS as an example. We want to improve the quality of CLSs. So we make a certification, and the certification states, to be a good CLS, you must demonstrate blah, 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 blah. And then people can go away and do that. Once you've got your certification as a CLS, which to get it requires a positive opinion from other CLSs who are certified, after a couple of months, you can become a, an instructor for that as well, which means you'll be able to grade other people. So everyone's sort of, in a way, policing each other, but in a roundabout way, there's obviously a few more sort of things on that. So it's not just something that the NCOs will do. If you're experienced in an area and you've held your certification for some time, you'll be able to apply to help to certify other people. Um, so I've talked for a little bit there. Quite uh, quite a long time, actually. I, yeah. I, probably, I probably left some gaps, but there's probably a, a few questions, so let's hit those if there are. There is a massive backlog of questions in the live chat. And just to give you a little bit of breathing room, uh, I'm going to filter some of those out. I say filter some of those out. I'll <laughs> scroll back up a few hundred A4 pages. Uh, there's a lot of questions about like, French cases and stuff uh, as well. Again, guys, all of this, if it's not in a sit rep, it's still a work in progress. Yeah. So even minute things might still change. And that's why also why we have the stuff in here, because feedback or hearing these questions might even prompt uh, prompt the change. Uh, we had some good questions. Some of those were already answered by your uh, speech there. For example, uh, Ains asked, who is going to be able to hold these certifications again, as you said? Uh, specialists and above to, to give them, someone yeah, yeah or to, yeah, so to give them out yeah just to clarify that point so this is the really key we, this has been sat on our roadmap for a long time and one of the reasons why we never wanted to do this was because i hate the idea of me sitting here and saying you're not good you can't have it um the the difference here is that it's not nobody's giving anyone the certification the certification is given automatically on the system what you can do is you can if you're certified and if you apply to become a certified instructor for a specific role, so let's say you're a really good pilot, you're a rotary pilot, you certify as a rotary pilot, and um, you know three months later, you're like, I want to help other people become certified pilots, or maybe you don't even want to do that. Um, then you can f file opinions on other pilots, which helps them to get better. So it, that that's how it works. And at the moment, the initial condition is that you need to be an SP3 or higher. But we may, again, we may re revisit that and say, actually... You can be a PFC, but at least initially, um, as we start to see things play out, it'll be for SP3s and higher to, to do the to to do the issuing of the, of the opinions to the dossiers. And in a less formal sense, again, you already see a system like this implemented, even if you probably don't know about it, especially for JFTLs and aspiring leaders, things like that. They yeah. always have a two IC that is. Uh, watching their, like how they do, and then feeding back or providing feedback to whoever it is that... Just a point about GFTLs, right? Because those people that go for GFTLs know that it's a little bit frustrating to get the slots. Mm -hmm. 
and we'll know that we bumped it in the last sit rep. And the reason we bumped it is because we realised that JFTLs can become part of this system, which is if there's a certification for JFTL and the single condition of it is that you need two opinions from two separate instructors that say this person shows the, op- you know, the promise, it doesn't need, it's not a certification, it's just one condition. This person demonstrates the qualities of a potential JFTL. And so there was two separate people that are certified fire team instructors say that, then during the pre-starting stage of a deployment, you'll be able to slot as a JFTL um, taking fatigue into account. So it basically automates that process mm-hmm. in, uh, a very simple, in a very simple way. Another question that is being asked is that for some roles, like you mentioned, they have to be under pressure. They have to be in the heat of the moment. You can't simulate, uh, for example, for, for a GM, an entire mission being ran just in, in theory or in things like that. So for some of these roles, uh, the question is, you would need to be able to get into the slot to get certified? Um, yes and no. So the, a lot of these questions are, are very good questions, but they pertain to what's written on, on, so what the requirements are, not the system itself, right? So what we are designing at the moment is the system itself. And there's going to be a definite art to what's written on those. So what does it say you need to be able to do and how does it, is it observed? It's a very good point, and that's why we're having this conversation, so that people can raise these things and we can think about them. Um, but it's going to be very flexible. So if, if um, we're making a certification, some things, yes, we'd very much like to see them in operation if possible, but that might not be hypothetically possible. It may be that the condition has to be it can be observed in these two or three different environments. Um, we want to be quite flexible with it. Just like um, people started doing theory FTXs, that was never part of the plan, but it's because it was the most effective way to do them. If someone says, well, actually, um, I just want to chat to this person on TeamSpeak and that, that they can be certified that way because it's a comms FTX. So we can just do it in TS or on Discord or one-to-one. It needs to be flexible in that respect. All we care about is, are we verifying that someone is understands that role? We don't care where it is or how it happens. There's systems built into this system to avoid corruption, i.e. to avoid me going, you know what, Zuka, let's have a drink and I'll certify you for every role. You can't do it because it requires multiple opinions, but it's very flexible in that respect. Mm-hmm. Uh, good suggestion from William about using post-operation footage to certify a per- uh, someone. Maybe, I think, Prius recorded uh, GM's perspective a few few days back. And that's something we can use to just look back on something a few days later. Just look at it with a fresh pair of eyes, so to say. Uh, is that something that we could do, once again, for certification? So if someone uh, did this one very specific role, uh, you could look back for what they recorded or whatever Twitch stream, whatever. Uh, to certify them. I'm guessing this would also not, especially in roles where a 2IC or someone is not feasible. Let's take chat pilot as an example. Is that something that could be done? So someone watches back through their VOD or a recording of it and then says, oh, he reacted to that situation well, or oh, he did this absolutely textbook. Yeah, I think this the simple answer without getting into the grass is yes. Um, it's not all. It's no longer going to be about go to an FTX if you want to get if you want to be able to access roles. 
it's going to be about prove to me you fully understand the role. And if you can do that in 10 times shorter than you can get the tier, then that's fine. That's fine by us if you want to do it that way. But expect that we're going to give you our opinion and you need to be able to take that constructively. And if you can't take constructive criticism, then just don't get involved with the system because it's optional. Um, but yeah, do you want to do you want to jump on T-Speak, Zuka, and we'll do some comms and I'll file an opinion? Do you want to jump on Discord? Do you want me to watch your stream on Sunday? Because I'm on the train and I can't turn the on, but I can I can watch. <laughs> so it needs to be flexible in that respect. Mm -hmm. and, but it, but again, be aware, and it's been mentioned in the chat, our biggest concern with this is corruption. And so expect it to be uh, robust in that there is going to be things built into this to stop you agreeing I'm going to certify you and you certify me. It won't. You won't be able to do it. Uh, yes, push that, yeah. that does mean you can get certified off liberation. <laughs> that's, that, okay, that's a good one, yeah. Taking, oh, uh, speaking of liberation, Dungworth. If you could look at the questions that I've missed, but the ones that are popping up like in real time. So Hotspur says, how do you certify for an A10 or sniper if you can't get that role in a, in a mission? Um, the A10 um, certification Hotspur, I would imagine without speaking to Jari, it wouldn't matter whether it was an operational condition or an FTX condition, because you can very easily replicate combat conditions for an A10 in a server that has nobody else in it. Um, but you can't do that for a leader because you, yep. haven't got, you haven't got the people to follow or to lead. So uh, basically, Hotspur, the answer is you could do it one-on-one. -on -one. Or James, even on that one, uh, anyone who's ever gone to one of Jari's Rotary FTXs, uh, we'll remember that he always plugs a training map at the end of it that dynamically can simulate uh, like loss of tail rotor or auto rotation and things like that. If you think of it again in the same sense, recording you or you just streaming yourself in Discord, doing a few auto rotations and things like that, even if you're not able to get a rotary slot, I think that that would be acceptable, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, the other things I'm just saying in the chat again, if there's stuff that I've missed or Zuka's not seen because he's drunk just either repost it or he'll try and scroll up um, <laughs> uh, so so the the other thing that someone said yes so you could still go to an FTX so the guys that just come off the combat support FTX um, st you can still go to the FTXs and after the FTX just say to uh, Kevin oh do you mind pulling up I've got a certification in progress do you mind pulling it up because you, you just watched me in the FTX is there anything you can update so you can still do it in, in FTXs as well and in fact there might be an argument here at the end of an FTX to have a, a dedicated sort of block of time to do that feedback loop. Um, Vike, can we have a nice section in dossiers with artistic certifications? Absolutely. It will be very similar to the ranks and awards section. So when you go to somebody else's dossier, you can only see certifications that they have achieved. It won't show you in-progress certifications. Um, if And also, if you like shiny things, on Orbats... If you're certified for a role, it will say next to the role, certified. So if you're a platoon leader and you're not certified, it will just say platoon leader, tier, whatever, because that's the method you use to access the slot. But if you're a certified platoon leader, it will say certified platoon leader or platoon leader certified. Um, if you're an instructor for that role, it will say certified instructor. So there's a bit of jazz in that respect, and it will help you when you look at an Orbat to know, uh, you know how experienced people are. So that's that question. Um Hotspur, you want to be assessing, um, yes, you can certify on a practice. Um, someone talked about, so yeah, in theory, you could 
you could um, speak in like randomly. Say if the guys that are experienced in marksmanship, which is not me, they could make like a scripted range file that's single player, and you could just stream it, and you could get certified. Like the, there are plenty of creative options for this. Like I say, the top-down view of the system is we don't care how it's done. The purpose of the system is if someone is, if someone's attitude is, you know what, I'm confident that I understand the role. So test me, and if I, if I, if you think I've understood the role, that's that's what this is. So does it matter how it's done? Not really, as long as it's fair, non-corruptible, and it works. The they have to be difficult and they have to require multiple opinions because these are a big trump card, right? To get access to roles. Um, but in a year's time, everyone will think the tier's the trump card because the tier gives you access to all roles in an area that you've got the tier for. So it's a, it's weird how the perspective of it changes your opinion because at the moment we think, hang on, I've got the tier and if someone gets a certificate, that's a massive... But in 12 months' time, it'll be the complete opposite. So um, it's a process. It's not going to be, you know, one day and then the other. Another question or less, maybe a bit of a concern from Ains is, uh, and some others, is that even if it's not an NCO that is the most certified in a specific area, uh, will Enlist be able to write certifications, not just certify people, but maybe also put their input into it or design something to certify someone? I'd say yeah. yes, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, uh, those of you that have been here for a year will notice that one of the things that we did in quarter two and quarter, uh, quarter three and quarter four of last year is a lot more of the organization now is um, contributed by by people that aren't in the org COC. Um, JFTL is a great example. A year ago, it was unheard of for anyone that was not a corporal to, to, to fire team lead. And you can see what we're doing in that area. And the same is applicable for everything, which is, you know, in the CSIP for medical, the vast majority of the people in that CSIP are not org COC. Um, the role of the org COC is to enforce policy um, and promote it, not necessarily to write it. So if you're really passionate about an area and you just don't want to be in the org COC because you haven't got the time or you, it doesn't interest you, but you want to write a medical cert, you can write a medical cert, submit it for approval, and if it gets approved, um, then obviously that will be the standard that we'll test people to. Uh, another concern from Miller um, is regarding JFTLs. If we need two or more opinions on someone's JFTLing, they'll probably already be leadership tier one by the time that that has been certified, that has been uh, done, how how is that going to be like a problem or well, not a problem in that sense? Then, well, leadership's a bit of a different beast because you can't slot as leadership. Um, the only time you can really slot as leadership is if the field leader hasn't filled all the leadership slots in the pre-slotting stage. But generally, leaders there's a pre-slotting stage that starts 24 hours before general release of an orbit. And so most operations are designed to have no leadership slots left on general release. So the point is the certification will allow you to slot in the pre-slotting stage. So 24 hours before release. So if you're certified JFTL, you can slot when the NCO slot. That's the difference. Sorry, just going through the chat. I think I've caught up to the part where you already started answering stuff. Uh, Miller asking if there's going to be some 
type of tier system for certifications as well. Yeah, interesting uh, point. So it's roles based, isn't it? Instead of tiers, it's roles based. But um, Vike said, "Oh, what does it look like in your dossier?" If you're looking at your own dossier and you go to your cert card, you'll see all the certifications you've got, but you also see the ones that are in progress, which obviously other people can't see. The other thing you'll see when you go to your dossier and look at a cert is you'll see how many unique instructors have uh, lodged opinions on your cert. So let's say you qualify as a CLS with three opinions, yeah? It doesn't stop there. Like you can keep building opinions. So even if Ains has been a logistics support chief for fucking God knows how long, but it doesn't stop me going on his profile and adding one extra opinion. So he's got 28, 29, 30. So sort of like it's a bit of a prestiging thing, which is the more opinions you've got on your cert card, the more robust it is. And what, what cert cards have is what's called a confidence level. So to, to get a certification, it has to be 75% confidence or higher on every area of the cert card. So what it means is you don't have to have, every instructor doesn't have to agree that you're good at something, only the last instructor. So basically what that means is, and I'm trying to explain this in a really simple way, again, this is an anti-corruption thing. If you've had 10 opinions on your cert card, so long as seven out of 10 of the instructors have lodged a positive opinion, you're still certified. So it's it doesn't really matter because what might happen is an instructor might mark your cert card and then two months later leave the unit and that's still on your cert card but it doesn't matter because other instructors can come in and weigh in so in simple terms um you can sort of prestige your certification by adding even more opinions to it and improving it because you can get certified with 75 percent uh, you have to have a you have to have a positive opinion on all areas but you can start with a slightly lower so you can sort of challenge yourself to get a hundred percent opinion um or to have more instructors on your cert card because it's also possible to lose a certification right if you go in the res in, in the reverse way which is an important thing to say so it's important to keep the confidence level high so So Eduardo says, to be an instructor, you only need to be SP3 or higher. So two conditions. To be an instructor, you have to be certified in the role that you want to be an instructor for. That's condition one. And condition two is you have to have held the certification for at least three months. That might change, but that's the arbitrary number that we're given right now. The other question that someone's going to ask right now is, hang on, where's the first instructor going to come from? Um, so that is obviously something we need to look at. There Who will instructs be, the instructor? Yeah, there will be an initial instructor that we'll have to use to kick off certification um but other than that once a role is off and going and has enough certified instructors then obviously that condition will kick in no no squid you can't <laughs> uh, i'm just scanning for questions yeah yeah so, so johnson very good question our instructors anonymous so the list of instructors in any given area and the people that are certified is public so you can see everyone that's an instructor and you can see everyone that's got the qualification um can you see yourself which instructors have lodged an opinion on your certification card absolutely yes you can and we did have a discussion about this but from a culture perspective um a lot of the fire team is that I work that you know I lead with will come to me after a mission and they'll say, 
what's your honest feedback you'd be doing a disservice to them if you gave it anonymously and you you didn't tell them that they needed to improve an area because you didn't want to this certification system if you're getting involved in it you're asking for someone's opinion so if they give it to you you should expect it to be accurate um and, and honest and it might not always be yes you're amazing it might be you need to improve so you can if instructors that are marking your cards you'll be able to see which ones have marked it and what they marked um, and what the overall confidence is but we're not we're not we're sort of hoping through policy that you're not going to find out that way you know they're going to tell you that that's what they're going to do and then they do it agreement there <laughs> <laughs> can there be a system of unqualification um eduardo basically if you imagine that on that bit of paper i was talking about that there's 10 things written down you must do these 10 things and then two instructors have marked the card if one of the instructor agreed and one disagreed, then the confidence level on each of the 10 abilities would be 50%. You need to have a confidence level of 75% on all abilities, which is why it requires a minimum of in two instructors. And if two instructors both agree, then it's 100%, obviously. If two agree and one disagrees, that's only 66%, so you're not certified. So you would need a fourth instructor or the third instructor to refile. So that's how that works. So you can certify at 75%. But at the moment, what we're saying is if for whatever reason, miraculously, after you've been certified, your confidence level drops below 50%, which would require multiple instructors to either refile or for new ones to refile in negatively, then it is possible to lose your certification. The other way that you could lose certification is if we do a SOP review. If we change the SOP completely in an area, we'll have to resettle the certifications, but with a massive caveat you would only have to certify for the new bits. So if there was 10 things on the list and we changed one of them, you would only have to certify the additional one. To add to that, there would obviously be some... And we're talking about stuff that we probably won't work into the initial version because it's not going to be a problem until later. But there'll be a grace period there, which is we say there's a new medical SOP coming out. If you're certified, you've got three months grace period to make sure you've got these marked. If you don't, you'll lose your certification, for example. Uh, another question from Rizla. Will something like this, I think at least that's what he's trying to ask, would this, for example, someone has tier three in leadership and gets certified as a squad lead, would this enable someone like Rizla to squad lead? Like stepping into some of the roles that are currently basically locked behind the orcs or being orcs UC? Hmm. I'll answer the question in two ways. Um, the p position, as everyone knows at the moment, is that the org COC itself is made up of the units. Um, so to be in the org COC, it's sort of like you've got to be one of the sort of contributors in either two areas, mission support or field leadership, because the administration has to be the people that are where the rubber meets the road. Um, and so that's how we try to condense it. Um, so the simple answer is in the short term, no, but we'll be forcing, I want to say forcing, um, it's not optional. Um, the the OCOC will be asked to certify it, to set a good example, shall we say. Um, what you might see in the long term is a more healthy system where actually we start to change that system a little bit, like we have done for JFTL. And we say, actually, if you're certified and you just don't have time to do the administration bit, maybe we'll start to tweak that. But that's not something that I would expect to change this year. It's just more of a direction where, look, we've done it with JFTLs. 
we've moved your FTLs and FTLs, to be fair, any fire team we roll, pretty much outside of the org. So it's no longer a condition of that. And you can see us actively doing it. Um, the question is, do we extend that to squad leaders? The answer is, at the moment, no. But in the long term, possibly. There was a um, little meow lot, there. A lot of roles <laughs> are only one times in the respective fire team. Our instructors judging someone not in the same fire team. It's become a challenge, especially in the first three to five months without a broad set of possible instructors. To my understanding, this would require them to play in roles they don't like just to get on the same team to assess other people. Again, I think it could be a challenge. And again, a lot of this will be about how we tweak it after implementation. But the simple answer would be um, it's only a small percentage of certifications, I think, that will get assessed in, in operation. And remember, it's not like you're doing the whole thing. It might be that a couple of items off your cert card someone does judge in operation and some are done in an FTX. So um, if if we are struggling with getting certifications issued, then it may be something that we look at. But I wouldn't put too much of a reliance upon doing your entire certification in operation and worrying about being in the same team as an instructor because... One of the things that we will be very keen on is we don't want this to have an impact on missions. Getting certified is not more important than executing the mission effectively. So if that became a problem, we might tweak it. Another, I think, pretty valid concern is from Hotspur about the administrative burden from it and uh, people having to put even more time into certifying someone, uh, like filling out the sheet, uh, taking time out of the day to review the footage or do this one-on-one -on -one with someone to get them certified. Mm -hmm. And I, I think a notable difference there to make is that with FTXs, if we take today's in intake, for example, we had 11, 12 people mm -hmm. and we had three instructors. So basically every instructor instructed three people at the same time. Scott's <laughs> Yeah. She wants to be an instructor. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think this will be basically, especially at the start, like an insurmountable burden for especially the mm. certificate, certificators, cert, whatever? Mm. Look, if I, you think, think of the, sorry, Scott, but think about it this way. Um, if, if this was two years ago and you were asking me, fucking hell, 40 deployments a month, how are you going to make it work? Who's going to do it all? The question is just a matter of perspective, which is it's not like today there's no certifications and tomorrow there's 100 certifications. It's not how it's going to work. It's going to be a very slow and gradual process. I mean, in the chat, when do people think this is going to happen? Number and of months. Come on, put, put, put your numbers in. Let's have a guess. <laughs> number of light. months? Oh, God. <laughs> how many months do we think? Scotty, before, how many months? Before the first certification comes out. How many months in meows? Come on. Say something. <laughs> okay, so mm, Miller's going optimistically with the 2.3 trillion. Um, listen, the, 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 that number that first. the answer is the system will be in by the end of the month. So the possibility to create certifications will be in by the end of January, along with the lesson plans update. The important thing to say is that doesn't mean it's going to have any impact because there will be no certifications. The ability to, to for it to work will be there. But what then it needs to happen is someone needs to go, right, let's do CLS 
Yeah. So what will happen is the ability we've already distributed, by the way, the templates to the OCOC for how to create certifications. And now that it's public news to everyone else, we'll issue that publicly as well. So you can already create them because we already know what the format of them is. So all that's going to happen is when it comes out at the end of January, we'll say, right, which roles do we think we should do first? Which are the most important ones? And we'd probably argue leadership, but bearing in mind there's a leadership SOP review, maybe that's not such a good idea. But in any case, one role will be in the next sit rep, we say, right, CLS is now a certified role. So one single role is then certified. So it will be like role by role. So it's not going to be a massive administrative burden because it's going to be a very gradual process. And we'll bring certifications out as and when we can and as and when they're ready. And people will be able to get certified on those things. And if 20 people get certified as a CLS and then half of them become certified instructors, if anything, you're going to have more instructors than people that want to get certified. So it, it will take a bit of a snowball hotspur to get to that point, I know. But it's just, the reason we've designed it as a self-policing system is because we don't want to burden anyone with this responsibility. It's it's like a think of it like it's just a high. It's like a group. It's a group effort. Like it's a hive mind of opinion. So what's the overall opinion of someone's ability in a role? And that's how it's how it's working. But obviously, to be an instructor, you need to be a certain type of person, and not everyone's going to be suited to this. So that's why we need to control who who can and can't be instructors. Uh, someone in chat going on about especially uh, some F, not exceptions made, I guess, in some areas like field leadership or, or mission support. Those two aren't really a good metric to lo uh, look at. If you look at some of the upcoming deployments, uh, you'll see a lot of especially mission support people being in way higher tiers uh, or way higher tiered roles than they actually are. And a lot of this is to do with the roles also signifying what what they do in this oper uh, in the or what they did for this operation. So, for example, if you see uh, this and this recruit in an SGM or GM slot, even though he's tier zero in mission support, it might just mean that he made the mission or that he was the one who created it and is overlooking it. So, especially Rizla and Chat here, uh, again, those two are a bit of a different beast, and I wouldn't look at it. Oh, I have tier three in leadership. I can SL now. There's some additional prerequisites to it as well. Or again, yeah. in the case of mission support, also it I think it's something. It, it's important to say that field leadership and and mission support, as someone mentioned, are basically already certified roles. But the thing is, we control that access to those roles in a way that's not codified. So we've we're basically done by MA and via slot allocation policy. So we know that those are roles where this will come in handy, but it's a much fairer system because we're being completely clear with what the conditions are and what we require, basically. So, um, And then by pure extension of this, we can roll this out to different areas as a bonus to people that want to fast-track those areas, basically. Did this take longer than you thought, James, this whole role certification system? Not how, really, no. How, I mean, how, how long have we been going? Um, I don't know. But not not really, uh, two hours. But not, re <laughs> not really because, not on role certification, probably an hour on that. But not really because you think about things, concepts like fatigue and tears, when you haven't used it it's, and it's new and you've never heard 
it takes time to understand it. And obviously what we've talked about tonight is the current version of it. And, you know, it might be slightly tweaked from that. And just like the tier system and just like the fatigue system, months after they get released, they get, you know, they get tweaked again, don't they? And things get um, updated on them because we identify little little hiccups and things that need to be changed. So you should definitely expect it's the concept of it that people should understand. And what we'd be interested to hear is if people absolutely hate the concept of it. And that doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing. It just means that it's not for them. But um, the concept of, of the system is that um, people can not have a tier for something, but be really proficient in it. And people can be different type of learner. So rather than sit there and listen to someone for three hours, what they need to do is they need to do it and then they need someone to tell them whether they've done it right or not. And so it's about expanding that area of things and offering different ways of progressing, basically. you got to remember all of the things we're talking about here, or especially this role certification system, stems from a bit of a luxury problem, really, because we now have such a huge player base. We have so many people that are interested in leading, in making missions, and in doing all the things that we can offer. But bringing it into a system, as James said, we're, we're made, a system is being made to accommodate that, and we're going to change the system. And even if you heard us say something today, if it's not in a sit rep, it's still a work in progress. <laughs> Driver license certification. <laughs> this is a good one. Right, so it means I actually can go retrospectively in six months' time, so you can remind me I need to go back to your driver license and... I wanted to fell the tree. I didn't you want hit it. a tree. And I yes. don't remember that being on the certification card, so I might have to go back <laughs> and say that you need improvement on turning the wheel. <laughs> to be fair, I was also holding a motivational speech at the moment, so my hands were preoccupied. I don't remember that being on the cert card either, really. <laughs> no, I think it's it's just going above and beyond what you'd expect from a driver, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, Another thing this this whole certification system stems from is we don't limit anyone based on their previous experience to join our group. And today's intake, once again, is a good example of people that might not have necessarily a lot of hours in Arma or in Milsim, uh, still being very, very strong, like having the right mindset, because at the end of the day, that's that's the thing we're looking out for. We want someone with with a mindset that wants to improve and not caveat. so yeah go ahead caveat you, you can't use the system if you're not a private um and the, and that should be obvious anyway because if you look at what mm -hmm. recruits can and can't do um anyway they they can't access any of these roles that would have certifications anyway but um just to go back to that point it's not assessing your i mean some of them will be like don't get me wrong not hitting something when you're flying is pretty universal, isn't it? But some things that will be on cert cards are SOP related. And even if you're amazing at something, if you don't know the unit SOP and you can't demonstrate it, then you're going to be told that you can't demonstrate it. And that's one of the biggest issues with, with recruits is it's sometimes it's adapting to new information, whether they agree with it or not. The unit's policy is the unit's policy. And the thing is, if you, if you don't agree with it, then you can't not do the policy. You have to change the policy first. And you know that that's the that goes back to what the CSIPs are all about and what we're doing with LOAC, which is if we're executing a policy, we have to adhere to it because that's the policy and that's what everyone's held to. And if we need to change it, we change the policy. And if the policy is not changed because people don't agree, then you know that's just tough luck. That's how it works. But 
the the thing the overarching thing with this system is it benefits everyone whether you get involved in it or not because everyone you play with in 12 months time should be in theory slightly better at their role than they technically are now not because the system's making them better but because it's controlling people's access to those slots based on whether they're good at it or not and for the people that aren't quite there yet it's given them a concrete path to say this is the bit that you need to work on now we got I, think, I was just going to yeah. say that is there because we're probably going to start to wrap so if you've got any questions still outstanding and don't forget if you want to hop up here you can can hop up here and ask now's the time to to ask And Zuka will sing some light jazz while we wait for questions. Uh, are you really sure you want me to do that? Not really, no. Oh, you shouldn't have offered then. Here I go. <laughs> <laughs> That's got to be the meatiest topic for Tafcast. Though, I think. Uh-huh. We didn't do Tafcast. No, Tafcast wasn't a thing when Tears came out, was it? No, I... <laughs> Oh, okay. Here's one. Adele, will there be cost requirements? For instance, will you need a JFTL cert and a medical say? Absolutely. So one of the things that you can't do with tiers and that we've not really bothered to implement for exactly this reason, really, because it was sort of always the plan with qualifications is you can't say, I want fire team leader, i.e. tier two field leadership, to require also tier two in comms. But what we can say is if you want the JFTL cert, you've also got to have the radio operator cert. Now, I'm not saying that's going to be the specific requirement because I haven't written the cert yet and I don't know who is going to write the cert. But different certifications can require other certifications. That's a possibility of the system and a very useful one at that. And to give you an example of how that's actually really interesting is, say we design a platoon leader certification and it has a lot of the core competencies of platoon leaders on it. But then we've got a role variation called platoon leader mechanised what we don't want to do is for that person to have to do everything all over again that makes no sense so what we do is the certification for platoon leader mechanized is just the additional things that you would need to know if you were going to have a platoon that had integrated um, vehicles and mechanized units in it and then you make a requirement of platoon leader mechanized platoon leader so once you become a platoon leader then you can do the add-on for platoon leader mechanized so it it makes a very simple process to um to, to start tearing these things into different paths that you can follow, basically. Does this answer your question as well, William? Will there be roles that you can certify for by accomplishing a combination of other certs? Um, it's a good point, actually. So the special forces roles were designed for this system so what you'll probably see with sf is you sf will probably be the very first thing where you it doesn't matter what your tier is you can't access it like you have to do the, the cert and the idea being that if there was a diver cert and a para, you know a airborne infantry parachutist cert or whatever you would need like all of those to to access it it's not going to happen soon it's going to be a long-term thing but you can imagine the types of operations you'd have special forces if everyone was shit hot or all those things like it would be a really nice experience
That's fair. Um, yeah, absolutely, Miller. I mean, the thing is, a lot of the time, if something's not a requirement, people generally won't do it. I mean, that's kind of, you know, how it works. So, so we'll have a bit more of flexibility over this. But also, the thing with comms tiers is they're very hard to get because you need hours on both sides. Um, Mohawk, if there was qualification tabs on uniforms, you wouldn't be able to see your camo. Yeah, so it, I know it's listed on there, Miller, but it's the system. It, the intent was to do that, but the system doesn't actually have that much intelligence to to check, unfortunately. He's <laughs> trying to write you up. <laughs> is that all the questions? Uh, just... I I th I think I'm caught up. Okay, so I'm just going to recap, and if there are any more questions, throw them in. But the recap essentially oh, no. that's another hour. <laughs> the, the recap essentially is that. Um, this system is not a replacement for the tier system. It's something that will run, run alongside it. It's applicable to roles only and not to combat areas, and there can be variations of roles. The system itself would likely be in the SITREP 17, or SITREP 18, depending on how you, how you look at it. There's a SITREP in next week, which is the mid-month, mid but certainly by the end of January, the actual meat of the system will be implemented, and at that point, um, certifications can be can be rolled out, and essentially on on your average sit rep, it may be that there's a new section that says certifications launching this this time. Did you just call be... it a shit rep? Shit rep. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so uh, you, you'll be notified, and we don't, we don't we don't know what they'll be, but we'll probably start with things like pilots and stuff that the really the ones that really need control, basically and work backwards and if people are really passionate about an area and they want to get involved in that then they can do and that'll be how they launch if roles don't have certification so if just one doesn't exist for that role nothing changes it just works exactly like any other role does now the only time things change is if one exists and it just and, and equally it doesn't change then because if a, if, a, if a certification exists for cls and nobody's got it obviously nothing you know nothing changes it's only when the first person gets the certification that things start to change because obviously they can start bypassing the tier requirement. And, and tiers, your access to slots is, is quite simple. If the role has a certification and you have it, you can access it on release just like if you had the tier, it doesn't matter. And essentially, that, that's the summary. Um, the end of January for implementation of the, of the system and it's going to be a very gradual process of introducing certifications as and when they're ready to be implemented. And it's going to be a task force wide effort in that relation. What we probably will do and start to do over the next month is as an, as an org associate, but also as a wider group, decide what we think the most important priorities are for rolling out this system to. And we'll start with those roles rather than the ones that perhaps aren't so problematic. Should we move on to the next topic? They're already what topic? talking. What, <laughs> what, what do you mean? What, I suppose there is. We're not even through yet. <laughs> Come on, James. Uh, so much for the role certification, a qualification system. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh God, there's, there's still, <laughs> still questions coming in. Uh, 
Yeah, I'm, sorry, I, I can go on and on, but Ross. Yeah, I know, Ross, I know, I know. Ross raises a good point that nobody's pointed out, which is one of the sort of unintended consequences of the of the tier system is that people do things for the sake of of the hours, and this will really remove that as a as a thing. <clears throat> but one of the caveats to that might be if that results in less FTXs because the instructors are less inclined to put them on, that may also be a problem, but that's something we'll address when we when we get to it. But in essence, yes, you know, people won't just arbitrarily go to an FTX that they've been to before because they don't need to go to it, you know. Um, maybe they, what they'll do, Ross, is there's a combat support FTX on and they don't go to the actual FTX, but they go at the end because they need instructor to update them on something or something like that so it could could be completely different it may even be that we create a new event type called rain range get range to day. the range <laughs> range day and it's 90 minutes long or it's 45 minutes long and it's just a block where there'll be a group of instructors for a certain area let's say pilots there and the last thing you need on your fucking cert card is not crashing when you land and you just go there and they're stood there and they go, what, what are you missing? All right, off you go, jump. You know, so we could do stuff like that. It's a very results orientated system. So again, it's about being creative and seeing what people come up with, I think. Come on, William. And to, to Hotspur's thing, we, we went through lots of scenarios like what if you said someone with the cert and the tier had a benefit over someone that had the cert and not the tier, but it doesn't solve problem number one, which is um, you can't get access to a slot if you haven't got the tier, so so that's not going to be possible. But what you might see us do is play with some formulas at a fatigue level. That So, so not at the moment, it's 24 hours or 48 hours, isn't it? The one up, two up. What you might see us do is playing with some formulas at a fatigue level that give you a slight benefit depending on what your combination of achievements are. But again, that, that will be longer term if you look at fatigue, fatigue was implemented quite basically and then it got more complicated and it's, the same will be true for this. Interesting times for, for uni, <laughs> UNITAF. <laughs> so to bring us back on, on our agenda here, this took way more time than I thought. Uh, I mean, I, I knew it was going to be a big part of it. <clears throat> But yes, it should probably alleviate some of the, the, what is it called? Hours grind, tears grind, mm. FTX grind, practice grind, whatever. <laughs> Hop onto the next topic with all the stuff that's on the horizon as well. Uh, some people have already been saying it, but there will be new medals coming out. Or we'll see what exactly they are for, of course, but some suggestions are uh, for outstandingly like constructive AARs for uh, creating certifications or lesson plans for certifying it in a number of roles or areas um, or for running certifications for other people and getting them certified that way. Uh, maybe for even for things like th that could span multiple campaigns uh, achievements, uh, multi-campaign multi spanning achievements is written here. Uh, for exceptional role play, for exceptional mission making, things, all, all of that. And one thing, James, that's more of a bug fix, isn't it? 
or a clarification, the last part there with uh, good conduct and outstanding conduct? Uh, yeah, so we've got good conduct medals, but we don't issue them apart from a few, I think you're one of them, eager NCOs that keep putting requests in for them. Um, but uh, we haven't really talked about the annual survey, but I should probably just say one of the reasons why we updated the roadmap and we brought the qualification system right to the front of the priorities list um, to this month was because of some of the feedback in the annual survey. And actually, that's what happened last year with the fatigue system. So I had a lot of comments in the annual survey saying, you know, I can never get a slot because John Smith plays 30 times a month, cough, becks. Um, and I could never get the slot because he always takes it. So similar thing happened this year where we saw it and a lot of people were saying, you know what, it's just, oh, I can't get my slot because everyone's got the tears. And so that's one of the reasons why we brought it way forward in, in terms of the list of priorities because everyone's asking for, for this solution. So we're going to bring the solution. On medals, people want, I think, just medals that are not easier to achieve, but some of them are quite difficult, right? So we're going to add a few more for different things that people do because you've got people that are going to be creating certifications, issuing them, making lesson plans, getting certified in lots of areas. So there'll be new medals that you can collect for, for doing all these things to help encourage people and, and identify the people that have made this effort. But Good Conduct and Outstanding Colour will will restate the requirements and, and they'll be issued as well. So even more medals for Matt to collect and he gets an even higher tiered <laughs> collect this many medals medal. Yeah, the, the big one as well that people ask for is the campaign medals, which when we only did one campaign at a time, we used to issue one medal per campaign. But bearing in mind the way that UNICEF's going, we're going to have far too many medals and it'll it'll be like the North Korean uh, uniform, you know, it'll be off the page of the screen. So we're going to bring out a new medal, which is a camp expeditionary campaign medal that you can get attachments added to it for every campaign that you meet the requirements for. So it'll be like a medal that will just get bigger and like, more and more stars on it basically so that that will be a thing as well i responded to mohawk about the qualification badges in uh, in jest with the marksmanship competition badge picture but yeah. i kind of like the idea or i have been liking the idea of showing off some skills on your profile a bit because i like avatar customization on the internet i'm i know i'm a chump for it so i would what if we could show off certain sort like the steam profile thingies you can do on your profile um show off what you've been certified in and just pick three. Oh, you, 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 that's a good idea that's one so, of the question mark suggests that so what you say <laughs> when you when you've got 10 certifications you pick your top three and it'll display it on your dossier page basically yeah something like that yeah, yeah showcase yeah but um yeah it's interesting you say that because i i agree um that things like rate time testing or range testing like how many you know, it's a score-based test. Like, it's not for everyone, but if if you are competitive and you're into that, that could become part of a certification. The certifications are really flexible in how they work. So if we decide that we want one to have this sort of challenge in it, where you've got, as an AR, if you want to be a certified... Because think about it, AR, you can access it anyway via tier, but to be a certified AR, like, that should be something to be proud of, right? So you could, we can make these as hard as we want to make them. Arguably, they shouldn't be made hard just for the sake of making them hard. But you know, there's there's very a lot of flexibility in how these things can can be constructed. Oh, James, something for you to talk about again. Mm. I don't think you've done enough talking today. Uh, 
update on the roadmap along all of the other things we've already talked about. Um, yeah, so I mean, other than, so, so just an update on, so JFTL automation is now part of the certification system. So if you're waiting for that, the pre-slotting stage of a mission will become automated. So the pre-slotting will start automatically 24 hours before the release time. And the difference is currently only the AugCOC can slot into, well, it's not just the AugCOC actually, anyone in the, in the, um, anyone in a leadership mission support position generally will muster in the pre-slotting stage. This will actually allow people that are certified to slot into those areas, which solves the JFTL problem. So that that's out of the way. And, um, Lesson plans, which is essentially um, when you go to an FTX, being able to see an op-board basically that tells you what, what's going to happen. Um, and for instructors to have the sort of script, that currently is done in Google Docs and Scape's built that and that's going to be part of this update. So the, there'll be a big update with this, at this at the end of this month that basically encompasses lesson plans and, and um, role certifications. Um, and other than that, we've pretty much now complete what we wanted to do uh, for the Intel system on the roadmap. So that that's complete. And we obviously come back to the campaign today to do some other stuff later. Um, and the only other one that's sort of been shifted slightly is master after action reports. So we made a decision in December that we were going to bump master after action reports in order to do role certification with the view that role certification will have a bigger improvement over time. And the quicker that we get it out, the quicker people will make them. So we're going to prioritize role certification. And then we're going to come back and do master attributes reports. So it could be February. It just depends on obviously um, where we are. So at the moment, um, lesson plans, qualified roles, or what we call an RCS, and the two SOP reviews, the immediate SOP reviews, or the three, which is leadership, medical, and LOAC. And um, yeah, everything else is in the next section. But these are these are massive changes. So um, the next section is quite far away at this point. And something a, a few people in here will find juicy is just informing you about the corporal selection once again that is currently going on. Uh, what was the deadlines again? It's in announcements, isn't it? Yeah, so um, applications closed yesterday. Was it yesterday? Good question. Yeah, Where it closed we... yesterday. Pretty sure it was yesterday. Applications closed yesterday. We had 11 applications this time. It's about the same as last time, isn't it? think so um and so uh, sorry that's a feline accident um so come on beans well next wednesday is the selection isn't it so we'll know next wednesday but yeah so it's again it's a health some healthy competition some some really good candidates this time I'm excited to see what they get up to but um yeah next wednesday will be the results of that question from Rizla about corporal selections or mm -hmm. the whole process behind it about feedback i think feedback is currently handled just by going up and down the chain and what feedback has been received uh, either from observations from two ic's or other sources mm -hmm. i don't think or what the more transparent feedback system is requested yeah, well, so we've obviously the selection policy you can read. Um, what we are doing slightly different this time because we did get asked for a bit more feedback. And obviously, there's a tendency of Chinese whispers down the chain of command where things could maybe 
not intentionally come out shorter or long longer than they were summarized yeah so this time um we're doing a slightly modified process which may result in a update in sop but essentially the, f- the feedback will be written so what you'll get is exactly what's written by the selection board um and if 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 it needs expanding upon then obviously you can do that with your org coc but um because this wasn't the way it worked before so there was like a summary written it wasn't written in like a user-friendly way so if you read it it wouldn't perhaps make sense to you but it might make sense to your troop commander so this time we'll make an effort to write it in a readable sense so it's contextualized and obviously if they have questions they can come back but also remember that we um there's 11 candidates and we're not going to be writing an a4 page about each candidate because we simply don't have the time to do that but we will summarize the top, <laughs> top points they've every... already started pinging james may instead of you <laughs> <laughs> um yeah every candidate should get feedback and if you don't get feedback you should follow that up through the coc because it is part of the policy that you get feedback <laughs> right i think to wrap it up or oh one one last point as well. It's already been said, but you will probably have noticed a lot more uh, JFTLs on recent Arbeds, at least one in every squad, or so one fire team corp, uh, fire team lead, one fire team JFTL. Uh, again, that is a push to foster leadership or for people to show off their leadership a bit more. Uh, can we talk about? more don't know, changes to corporal and stuff like that james or is that mm, i think i think that uh look the relationship between the org soc and leadership and mission support is is quite a close-knit one and you remember the overall role of the org soc and a lot, a lot of people probably don't even know what it stands for so it's maybe an interesting topic it, our job is to enforce policy right to promote and and enforce policies and the OCC spent a lot of time, a lot of additional time that probably doesn't goes unappreciated by a lot of the wider membership. You know, it's physically impossible for me to make 48 deployments a month happen, trust me. And I know there's, <laughs> there's certainly members of the, not from the OCC that, that contribute to this effort, but it's the role of the OCC to, to make this work and they're essentially make it work on a, on a day-to-day basis. Um, as we've grown, um the also see physically can't lead every op it's not possible we don't want um basically our attitude to growth of the auxos is around 20 percent so around one in five members of the of the active total force will be a member of the auxos that's around the ratio that we work to um with that math and with 40 deployments a month it's physically impossible to have the auxos lead every op so what you're seeing now is us saying well we don't need to grow the administration beyond 20 percent because we want to work on the people we've got and we need to if if somebody's no longer want wants to put the time in or they haven't got the time we want to replace them with someone that has um because the auxios is an active organ it's not like a passive one um and so essentially we've got to this point now where basically every fire team leader on every deployment will probably end up not being an nco or maybe it will be an nco it doesn't matter um but it's a, it's a massive change. So the change for corporals is corporals are basically becoming designated leaders where we say not only are you technically capable, i.e. 
you can lead and you're an effective leader. So you're not talking down to people, you're, you're encouraging them. But the second point is, and this is where a lot of people fall down in join, joining the OCOC is, the biggest part of the OCOC is promoting and enforcing our policies, even if you don't disagree with, even if you disagree with them. We're never going to agree on everything. The OCOC has got nearly 25 people in it. When we make new policies up, there's always someone that doesn't agree, and that's just the way it is. That's just life. But you still have to promote it and you still have to enforce it because it's for the greater good, and that's the whole point of the organisation. If you went to two different NCOs and they enforced the policies differently, it wouldn't work, would it? And so that's the next thing we look for. And so what you should see, basically, is that the corporals that we choose, we're saying, look, they're effective leaders and they're also great. They understand UNITAF. They can promote and enforce the policies and they're a good leader both in and out of game and they want to do something more they want to put whether that's they want to lead more either they want to field lead or they want to make missions it doesn't really matter what it's like an additional condition um, or maybe they're just really interested in the training systems and things like that that's where corporals come in think more of corporals as squad leaders in training or people that fire team lead all the time or instructors it's essentially putting you in a dedicated position where you get priority access into those things so that's the change really because in the past being a corporal just meant fire team meeting but that's not really the case anymore what we're looking in court for in corporals now is potential squad leaders or instructors or mission makers people that are going to do something people that are going to go on to, to do what i do basically in the in the long term um so yeah we're not recruiting people to the OCOC just to fill fire team slots, which is what we used to do. It's, it's essentially the answer. Yeah, there's a lot of different factors or evaluations to be made as well. Just because you're a corporal doesn't mean you're the best of a bunch of of, uh, of leaders, mm. but you also display like skills in other areas. Again, like mission making, administration, all things like that. So all of that flows in. And I think that's something that maybe isn't too transparent or because it was not like this before and it has now changed. That still has to settle in a bit. Yeah. But I think um, looking to the couple of, I think the first step in selection is as the selections have got more competitive, you know, 10 to have the last two selections with 10 candidates each, I think it was even 11 on the previous one. Um, Sorry, just to... very quickly, James. Uh, yeah. White Wolf is hands up. Can you pull him up here? Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, he, he got disconnected. I thought he'd gone to bed. <laughs> sorry, White Wolf. Um, look, I don't see any reason to, to point why the feedback from selections can't be direct. Um, I can make a pledge that this time round i don't see any reason why when the selection board is finished the feedback can't be sent directly to the person from the selection board and then just copied to their coc so that if they want to discuss it they can i don't see any reason why that shouldn't be possible at the end of the day it's in all of our interests that the information is reaches you as quickly as possible and it, well reaches you in the first place <laughs> I don't, I'll speak to the others, but I don't see any reason why that's not the case. And if we do do that this time, then we will, and you find that useful, then we'll update the selection policy so that that happens for future selections as well. Yeah, exactly, Miller. Uh, it's maybe something that wasn't 
as obvious, but corporals, especially now more than ever, are not just leaders. They also have different qualities, again, in instructing, uh, putting up new FTXs, putting up new missions, campaigns, all of that, SNAZ. It's not just about leadership. Although, of course, a an all-rounder, I'd say, is, is always a bit more appreciated. Well, I think the other way of looking at it is if you remove the org CC, the organization wouldn't function. So it's it's not about one-trick ponies. There, there's people in the org CC that focus more on the mission side. There's people that focus on the leadership side. And there's people that focus on the training side. It doesn't really matter what their focus is. Um, but what we try to do with the org CC is identify the people that are contributing the most in those respective areas. And we bring them into an organization, the top 20% of the organization, where they've actually got the authority to make change and enforce change. That's the purpose of the org CSC. Right. So before we wrap this up, I think we're at the end of our uh, agenda here. Any more questions from the crowd? Just anything, throw it at us and uh, we'll see what and how we can answer in a non-incriminating way. <laughs> Yeah. How was your nap, White Wolf? All right. Yeah, it was sick. Uh, no, it was good. It was good. It was good. I was, uh, I was, I was just hanging out, and uh, yeah, you, you, you dulcet tones really help with that. So, cheers. Very beneficial. Right. Uh oh, good one from Miller. New performance of the server and the implementations made. Uh, pretty sure it's only really in, in its baby steps and testing. I think a good tipping point will be this Sunday, right, James? Yeah, so it's something we did after after um, deciding. Um, we're just talking, we've got two servers. You'll, you'll see some deployments on, on eu.utfn.net. Um, you'll see some on, um, on the original server. So we've, we've got two separate servers at the moment. I mean, they're both pretty high spec anyway. Um, this new one is on AMD rather than Intel and has a lot more cores. Um, and so we're playing with the performance on it and the initial feedback's been good, but obviously it's going to take a bit of time to optimize. But what we're looking for is, um, you know, the thing about server performance is we can measure server performance. So we know what that is, and but we don't really track player performance. And obviously each person's hardware is slightly different and some people in some ops get great performance and some don't. So what we're looking at is the overall server performance and specifically for some of these more challenging ops. So the likelihood is that we'll move to using this new AMD server um, perpetually and we'll decommission the other one. But we've only changed server a couple of times. Um, in 2019, we moved to, to one and then in 2021, we moved to our current current server. So um, hopefully people start to, to see the benefit of it. And I guess the way to tell is if you're on the UTFN one, it's a slightly shorter URL that you use for Direct Connect is, you know, let us know if you've noticed any differences. And if you're on the um, other one, then obviously let us know. But it's highly dependent because it depends on the GM and everything. You know, there's a lot of factors that go into server performance. It's not just the server itself. It's, it's cause and effect, really. Yeah, it's not. I don't think it's double the cause, but the CPU benchmark for the new server is about double... <laughs> It's double the CPU benchmark of, of our existing system. <laughs> I'm sorry, uh, that one has been... A, there is a lot, there's a, so much to be said um, about your your personal optimization. A lot of people that are having trouble in these big missions 
they need to, and this might be something that we can do as a as a group is pr- produce a guide to how to optimize. But th- things are like view distance and and how you've got your, they make a massive difference. And the other thing is, if you run BlastCore and JSRS and all this stuff, you know, if you ever run a mission without optionals, you'll notice a huge difference. Sometimes I run without optionals, especially on things like Poseidon, because I just know I'm going to get a way better performance. So, um, you know, there's a lot of self. Um, configuration that you can do on that front we are dealing with a game that's you know i know i keep saying this but come armor 4 or whatever comes after it a lot of our problems touch wood will will be um alleviated by by just the ability to have something run efficiently at scale Ooh, slightly out of game one from scape uh meetup unitaf meetup Oh yeah, there was something thrown about a few months back. I'm just looking to see if it's still on. Uh, I think it is still on. Third to the fifth of June was that the original date? Don't have a look. Don't remember actually. Uh, I'll find out. But it's summer. It's summer this year. Mm. I will try and get it finalized because I know some people want to travel, won't they? Uh, what was that one again? It was a parade, wasn't it? Somewhere in the south of England. Or yeah, Britain. it's not. It's not Overlord. It's the other one. Does anyone know which one it was? It's not. It's not. It's, it wasn't Operation Overlord. It was. Uh, let me just find uh, What was it called? Come on. Uh, is it? Wasn't Folkestone? Was it? <laughs> just talk amongst yourselves I'll find it <laughs> sure <laughs> of course the tongue was drunk while we talked about it uh, so how's your voice suit cut after doing an intake and the tough cast oh knackered and I, I don't even have any alcohol to I'm gonna, to lubricate. I'm gonna, gonna listen back to this and just listen to you slowly get more and more confused as to what was going on and what you were saying <laughs> <laughs> It was chat. Chat was <laughs> chat was just distracting chat me too help, much. No, no, absolutely not. I mean, you've been carrying this Tafcast, by the way, Zook. I've just been vibing here. You're yeah, telling same. that to me, and not Major James over there. It was talk for ninety percent of it. We're sending positive thoughts. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> not possible, no. It's not couple. It's not overlords. I just can't remember the name of it. Oh yeah, <laughs> good one, Johnson. Uni pints. We'll go to some uni pub. Scott, you I can only you can only, you can only go to the meetup if you've got the land navigation cert. <laughs> <laughs> no, because everyone has GPSs, James. <laughs> no, it's tough. <laughs> and yeah, Rizla, if if Kevin attends, we'll sure as hell have to hold him to his pizza promise. Which is kind of like a, 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 like a, kind of like a pinky promise, but it's a pizza promise. Oh god, it's I pizza oh. saga. God. Oh, is it War and Peace Revival? I think Vikes That's got it. it. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was the one we were talking about. Uh, I'm just checking if the dates changed now. I know which one it is. Uh, 26th to the 30th of July, 2022, in Kent. So if you're in Europe, it's quite close to obviously like ferries and trains and all that stuff, um, but not necessarily airports. But obviously, it's, it's 
highly dependent on when we were last talking about it, something called COVID-19 appeared too. I mean, who knows, but I'll keep an eye on it. We were also talking about uni merge, but that's a different topic, isn't it? Well, Kevin's on with it. So <laughs> if, if War and Peace goes ahead, then we'll make sure it happens by then. So that we all look the same. No, no, not. <sighs> what is it with you guys today? Come on, chat. <laughs> yeah, that's not a bad shout. A Unitaf ski retreat would be a, be a good shout. <laughs> there, there, it is. Is. there it is. There it is. Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, just heads up, just, guys. Uh, if, 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 if we if, actually. If, <laughs> if, Johnson, if Johnson does do. A march from the northwest of England to Kent for the meetup. I will personally award practice hours for the entire duration <laughs> of the march for everyone oh, that goes. You, I mean, you say you say you say that, but there's, I think there's quite a few of us in the northwest of England. Right, definitely yeah, but, uh, together. Yes, oh, but no, are they going to all march to Kent? <laughs> <laughs> James, it can, James be, it can be done. I'm just saying. No. James, get them, get them, get them a UNITAF flag, and when they're marching, they have to hold like oh, a. Don't worry. If we go war and peace, there will be flags. Ah, oh, hell yeah! How are you going to know yeah. where the UNITAF section is? There's got to be a medal for that it's, too, right? It's going to be a big flag, like a UNITAF flag, so you all know where to meet up. And then Don will just be stood there with his arms folded, wearing that crocodile hat and some aviators, and that's how you'll know you're in the right. <laughs> and he'll have like a very shit stubble on his on his moustache. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. They're just going to think it's ISIS with our flag. <laughs> it doesn't look like ISIS. Come on. It kind of does. No. Oh. Guys, if you, wanna, if you don't want to have your expectations shattered, don't come to the meetup. I mean, do come, but no. <laughs> well, also, James, not expectations for the meetup, but for actually seeing the face of people in here. Because that, that's always a big shocker for me. Sorry, everyone who's facing Yeah, I don't look nearly as dapper as Walsh in armor. <laughs> right. I think, have we, have, we, have we reached a conclusion of this, uh, of this TAF cast? Sadly, I think so, yeah. I think we've already, already well uh, straight into TAF cast territory. Yeah. Mm. We've had a, a good audience, um, some good participation i think Chat not was too wild. much not too much debate and we probably should have started rcs a little bit earlier probably maybe took a little bit longer than we thought but um it's a good time to get people thinking about it i think um as we start to to think about implementation i think we'll just leave the thread open for people to put stuff in right come on white wolf <laughs> come on <laughs> <That's the way. laughs> I've uh, I've just found the first Unitaf merch. <laughs> <laughs> Get it on the web. No, James's yeah. guy has to have a Unitaf logo on there on the chest. <laughs> also, White Wolf. The, the, the one that it. creeps me out is the is the painting. I don't know if it's somewhere. There's a painting somewhere. Oh, like, well, I'll find it for you. Oh yeah, and it's got sure different people's faces on it. That's the one that creeps me out the most. <laughs> Um, also, White Wolf, I would have expected you to make like a cap or something so you can put your head into it. Oh, that's true. That's true. I'll, I'll probably. There you go. 
<laughs> there it is. <laughs> Fabulous. I don't know sure what's better, Big Red with the stick or uh, Squid A <laughs> with his little hands or Dexterous that you probably can't even see in the background. Um, but good. I mean, seriously, I mean, last we talked about it at the start, but, you know, last year was crazy. Um, you've only got to look at the data to see that. Um, and that what we always appreciate is um, what I've always said is we're working towards not what Armour 3 can be, whatever the game after that can be. And so we're working towards a position of, you know, when we can throw 250 people in on a Sunday op, that's what we want to be able to do. And that's what we're working towards being in the position in. And all these things you see us doing, tier system, fatigue system, RCS, it's all about working towards that position, but using Armour 3 as the platform to springboard us to it. And what we always appreciate is people understanding that, you know, sometimes we do things that you might think, why on earth are they doing that? Um, but we always try to look at the bigger picture. And, you know, if, you, if you've got ideas about how to improve stuff, absolutely let us know. But we're, we're always working to the long term and not necessarily the short term. And this year, it will be really interesting to see what happens because in January last year, there was only a very small amount of people that could do stuff, that could schedule ops, that could run them. This year, there's about 20, 25 people that can do what, what people could do last year. Everything is decentralised. And so the lid is off. And what we end up achieving this year is is basically just down to every single one of us um, rather than two or three people. So um, endless possibilities. Um, obviously, we've got things like Unisocial. We've not really talked about it, but there's a pretty strong DCS contingent. There's nothing official there at the moment, but maybe that will change. Who knows? Um, but we've got a pretty robust platform to, to do whatever we want with at this stage. William, that's a, that's a good addition to uh, for your Roger. Right. <laughs> Before we <laughs> head to... <laughs> Too far into Tafticast. James, you wanna like uh, preserve your image and uh, end it here? Are you, are you booting me out? <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> no, listen. Thanks, uh, Scott White, Officer for hosting, and for um, everyone for listening because it's been quite a few of you listening today. If you are listening on Spotify, I hope it didn't put you off too much. Um, all the rowdiness and I hope you found it useful and I'm sure we'll do it again next month probably post implementation of RCS maybe and there should be a TAF there should be a sit rep sorry around the 14th around the middle of the month there'll be a minor and obviously expect the major at the end of January or there or thereabouts um, have we got anything else to plug I don't anything know but Adel's got his hand up on Airdale's got his hand up. What to talk? I, I don't know. Oh, he does. So yeah, he does before we finish. Well, I've, I've the anticipation I've, is killing me. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah, I'm expecting big things from this. <laughs> yeah. I've really invited him to drive the uh, drive the pressure right up. Invited him to speak. He's. I think he's bottled it. Ah. Oh. No, 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 uh, yeah, yeah, he, he just has to accept it. Does he know yeah, how it works? Yeah, you just click on, ta- <laughs> click on Tafcast. There is, there will be a certification for this later. But if you click on Tafcast, <laughs> 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 I 
on your name, it sh you should just be a button that says accept or whatever. On, on the top of your screen top, has it has a green uh, inlay, yeah. I mean, you ra you managed to raise your hand, so surely. You... Hey, oh, there he is. For whatever hey. reason, I had to minimise and then uh, like maximise again the screen. Um, I was just talking to myself for a good thirty seconds. Um, yeah, this is this is my public petition. Uh, now, Tafcast's finished. Uh, for everyone to join me in shutting dung up that we've not finished liberation, that the old one is just booting with one town left to clear. <laughs> so I'm asking Ooh. everyone for your non-financial contribution to finish liberation so we can get a new one set up. <laughs> there, there's a rallying cry. If I've ever heard one, which, you know, maybe you can take some motivational tips off Zuka or maybe Zuka will... Drive into a tree. To... Yeah. <laughs> Give me a car and I Is that a unisocial ping going out right now? Is it? <laughs> Do it. Yeah, that is, yeah. Yeah. Get on it. So that that's good. And then we'll make sure Dung gets that new map ready for when you're finished. <laughs> I think, Ado, this was the politest war cry I've ever heard. Short of uh, William asking for <laughs> asking for Prairie Fire in Vietnam the other day. I mean, it's definitely the summary of unisocial, which is you. I just find every time I'm about to send an important email or do something um, properly, I get a war game ping or something like that and end up wasting the rest of my day. I mean, using the rest of my day. <laughs> for me, it's always during coffee break. Someone pings me for Tarkov, like, oh, yeah, I could really go for a few runs. But... Well, I'm about work. I don't think my boss would really appreciate it if I don't know the Tarkov on the work computer, even though it's probably stronger than my actual PC. <laughs> right. I think we're done, aren't we? Yeah. Oh, we're done all right. Oh, yeah. Good. I'm going to send Craig on his way. So if you're listening on Tafcast, on Tafcast, <laughs> I've gone for a bottle of whiskey. Uh, if, you, if you are listening <laughs> on Spotify, uh, thank you for listening.